four, three, two. Welcome back, Jocko. What's happening, baby? It's good to be here. It's good to see you, man. We were just talking about Chris Cornell. We uh, found out last night at the Comedy Store that he died, and then this morning found out that he hung himself. Just fuck. It's it's hard to even comprehend. How do you comprehend that? I'm I'm living in a parallel universe. Doesn't make any sense. Like, how could someone like you know? It's easy on the outside looking in at a guy like that, but you like that guy was one of the best ever. Like, how does a guy like that even want to kill himself? How does the lead singer of Soundgarden? It, it, to me, it just really kind of reveals the complexities of human life. Yeah. Exactly what you're saying. To have a guy that is at the pinnacle of his skill, uh, the pinnacle of fame, the pinnacle of money, and, and for him to say, you know what, I'm not going to do it anymore. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what was going on in his head, obviously. Who knows if he was on medication, if he had some sort of an issue, a health issue. Who knows? I mean, I would never speculate, but it just, I don't understand. I mean, again, I don't know his life, but I, I couldn't even comprehend it. I can't even imagine it. Well, that's, that's one of the really hard things when you start talking about suicide for yeah. people that, for someone like me, and I, I, I haven't had suicidal thoughts right so when you when you go from that to somebody that not only has the thoughts but then goes ahead and executes it it's very hard to comprehend yeah i've met people that have done it before i've met i've had a few friends that have done it i just have never understood it i don't get it but i don't know them you know i mean everybody's got their own unique mindset and it's just you you know what's really crazy man i read the statistic the other day about suicide um, that people in poor neighborhoods are far less likely to kill themselves. People that are in, in the struggle. Yeah, well, I actually believe that because they're fighting for something. Yeah. And someone that's already got everything and then they're then end up with no drive, with no goal and nothing left to achieve. And so then all of a sudden they're just staring at the mirror without anywhere else to go. You know, and I'm, I'm not talking about Chris Cornell in, in particular, but for some people I know uh, one of the things that happens is that when they become very successful and they're still not happy, then they get hopeless. They just feel like, well, I have everything, and yet I'm fucking miserable. You know, I have a nice big house, I drive this fancy car, and I still am miserable. Like, there's no hope. Like, this life is meaningless. I don't even know what to say to that. I don't know what to say to, to be honest with you when you hear, you hear that and you just don't even know what to what to say to that. You know one thing that why I don't understand it? I like struggle. I like it. I think it's important. I yeah, think no, it's, no, there's no doubt about that. There's no doubt about having something that you're striving for, some goal. And like you just said, when, you, when all those goals have been achieved and now you're sitting there at the top of the mountain and you now you don't feel happy, what do you do? Just Pick up a fucking hobby, man. <laughs> Find something you suck at and get better at it. I mean, that seems so simplistic. But, um, uh, you know, I just, you and I, are, we share this, uh, this very important uh, part of our lives, which is uh, intense exercise. Indeed. And I think that, you know, I go to your Instagram almost every day to look at your watch. <laughs> it's hilarious. If you go to Jocko's Instagram, it's a fucking Timex watch advertisement. It's all just <laughs> that Iron Man watch with 4.30 in the morning, the occasional 3.30. This motherfucker's up at 3.30. And, you know, and you working out. Like, like that's <laughs> his fucking hairy gorilla arm and a Timex Iron Man triathlon watch. But that's what's up, man. That's what's up. I mean, just fucking doing it. Getting out there and struggling. And then once you do do that, here's the thing, like, you know, like a friend of mine said that, 
like uh, I was uh, I was say- saying something about you coming on the podcast, and he goes, "Can that dude take another picture of his fucking watch?" I go, "I hope he takes a picture of his watch every day until he dies." I go, "It's important. It's yeah. important. It's 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 sort of in a lot of ways, it's symbolic of what we're talking about. Like, no, it's not fun to look at your watch every day, but." You're fucking doing it every day. Like, that's what's important. Yeah. And I actually, early on, I had someone, you know, say something along the lines of on social media, on Instagram or on Twitter, you know, are you just going to post another picture you're watching? I was like, unfollow me. Like, <laughs> like, just don't follow me. It's no big deal. I'm not making you do it. And and now it is kind of turned into something where I'm I'm doing it every day, regardless of Fuck anything them. else in the world. Yeah. Fuck them. I like looking at your watch. I want to know when I get up at seven and I think I'm getting up early, that you've been up for hours and you're already done working out. I like it. I think it's uh, you know, it's but it is in a, a lot of ways. It is it's symbolic of what we're talking about. It's the struggle. Yeah, and you know, you know who doesn't complain about it. And I always make this point too. There's like a a single mom somewhere in the valley here that's working three jobs that's getting up at 3:30 in the morning so she can go work as a waitress somewhere before she's got her other day job that she's got to go through so she can feed her kids. Yeah. I get up almost as a luxury at this point. I mean, right. you know, I'm I'm a retired guy from the from the military, so I ca- can kind of get up whenever I want. Right. I, do, I get up early as a luxury, sort of. But you also get up because that's who you are. Yeah, and I get up because it is it it is a way to maintain discipline in life for sure. To get that stone out and sharpen that blade every yep. morning. It's the grind that sharpens the axe, indeed. There's, there's no other way. There's no other way. And I don't want to say that this would have saved Chris Cornell or anybody else that did it. I'm not saying that. But, I mean, for some people out there that aren't feeling good, man, if you just fucking struggled more, you get over that struggle, you feel better. It sounds so simplistic, but I, I swear by it. I've, yeah. I've felt shitty myself and then forced yeah. myself to work out. And after I get out of there, I'm like, whoa, 100%. It's a 100% great. guarantee. And, you know, actually, I had, I had, you know, I had Tim Ferriss come on my podcast. And when he came on, he was like, hey, I don't know if I'm the right kind of guest for your podcast. Because, you know, my podcast is like about war and death and killing and all that stuff. And so, you know, Tim's are about being better and stuff like that. So it's easy to okay, contract. raise your voice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, but that's Tim's what it about is, right? Being better. T- Tim's, <laughs> Tim's podcast is about improving yourself. And mine yeah. is about war and genocide and horrible things and he said to me you know hey i don't know if if i come on the podcast but you know maybe i'm not the right type of guest or whatever and i and i, and I wrote back to him and i said hey man you know you've been through some dark stuff in your life because he wrote a blog post years ago about him being suicidal and him contemplating and planning to commit suicide this is tim ferris did he really yeah he went through full motions got you know typical tim ferris methodology what did he do he went to the library and got out a bunch of books on killing yourself and then did the research on how he was going to do it and planned it all and then when you was know, this how long ago he was going he was like just done with college and so i mean what is that what is he 35 or something so maybe it's 20s 15 years ago Jesus Christ and he was under all this pressure you know he was an Ivy League guy and he was trying to finish school but then it wasn't working out and it was just problematic and so he started saying to himself okay well how am I getting out of this well there's one way to get out of it and luckily he didn't do it but when he came on you know that's what we talked about and what he said you know as he was making recommendations from again from a guy who's been there was like hey if if you're trapped in your in your mind and you're starting to feel that way go do something physical get in your body get out of your mind the same thing you're saying when you're feeling bad when you're feeling down go out and swing a kettlebell around and you will feel better yeah this is just too much for some people especially they're just experiencing way too much pressure and that that pressure a lot of times it's just a, an imbalance in perspective 
And some of it's impo- like uh, I was talking to this mom once. Uh, her daughter uh, does gymnastics with my daughter, and we were talking about um, kids killing themselves where she used to live. She used to live in um, one of the really wealthy tech areas outside of San Francisco, and a bunch of kids that went to school with her daughter that were like 15, 16, were jumping off bridges and shit. Like it was a, a like an epidemic, and they were trying to figure out what the fuck is going on, and th- they're literally calling it affluenza. That these affluent kids and their their families are literally worth a billion dollars. You know, I mean, everybody's super rich, and they're having this insane pressure, in, like before high school and in high school, to be in Ivy League schools and to get four point and all. And they're fucking. They're not having any fun, and they're not experiencing life, and they don't have any hope. And their parents are all on fucking pills, and they're just killing themselves. Yeah, and and, and as you said, it really is a piece of perspective because if you think about think about some when you watch one of your buddies go down the downward spiral maybe it's not to suicide but whether it's drug addiction a lot of times some female the girlfriend the ex-wife will just take them on the the downward spiral and there's there they can't get out of it and if they were to step back if they were if it was you and your buddy watching one of your other friends go down the spiral they go oh my god i can't believe he's doing that that's crazy but when you're in that spiral people get caught in that and they can't they can't get the perspective of what it looks like from the outside yeah, it's hard for people to break momentum too. Momentum that's good momentum or momentum that's bad momentum. When I get uh, like when I get on a good groove or working out all the time, I feel it. Like after I'm done working out, I'm like, yeah, I can't wait to get in there again. I can't wait to work out again. That's the good momentum. But then there's that bad momentum, like you get injured or something like that, and you can't do anything for a couple of weeks, and then to, to try to get that kickstart that motor up again. Yeah. It's the it's hard to get momentum. Yeah, and I, I've I've caught some some flack for saying there was these big science experiments or something, and they and they said that willpower dissipates throughout the day, and and the more decisions you have to make, the weaker you get throughout the day. And I I think that's BS. I agree with what you're saying, which is when you wake up in the morning, you get a good workout. You don't lose willpower. You actually build it. You feel better. You feel stronger. And then at lunchtime, you, you're not saying, "Hey, where's the pizza and where's the donuts?" No. At lunchtime, you already worked out. You feel good. You're like, "Hey, where's the where's the steak? Where's the protein?" Um, and and that carries throughout the day, as opposed to exactly what you're saying, which is when you sleep in, you skip your workout. All of a sudden, the donuts are starting to look pretty good, and then the next thing you know, it's pizza. And then when you get home at night, you're just watching TV, and that can continue on for days, and then days turn into weeks, and then the next thing you know, you're fat and out of shape. Yeah, and then on top of that, if they did do that study, like really, I want to know what those people were eating because that's a big factor too. Because yep. there's a lot of people that are eating shit food, and then by the end of the day, your body's in a crisis. Yeah, yep. your body's just processing all this bullshit. Yeah, and people ask me that too. They go, you know, how much do you sleep? First of all, I get asked all the time. So I go to bed around eleven. I woke up, wake up around four thirty every day. So that's five and a half hours. I, I, sometimes I sleep more than that. Sometimes I go to bed at ten, ten thirty, eleven. Sometimes I stay up later. But when the person says to me, oh, you know, I I can't do that. I feel horrible. How can I feel better? And and my first question is like, well, what are you eating? What are you eating? Because if you're eating Cheetos and chocolate chip cookies for lunch, there's no way you're going to feel good. And I don't care if you slept 12 hours the night before. Yeah, that's a it's a giant factor. And if you're eating a big like bullshit lunch filled with nonsense, like your body's got to process all that stuff. And so at the end of the day, yeah, you're going to lose your willpower. So like when five o'clock, six o'clock rolls around, you're going to be tired. But if you have a healthy lunch 
and you know you're you're properly fueled and then you also have positive people in your life everyone's motivated by the end of the day you're going to feel good like say if you're go- if you're doing jujitsu with a bunch of other people that are doing jujitsu everybody's enjoying it you're looking forward to that 6:30 class everybody's fired up you get out of work you're fucking pumped man mm-hmm. you, you what you're doing when you get out of work you're fueling up with water you're trying to get some electrolytes in you cuz you know you're going to get out there on the mats and you're going to sweat it out yeah and the thing you got to do too is when you get done with work and it was a grind and you didn't get, you ate crappy food and whatever happened, happened and you got yelled at by your boss or whatever. And the real easy decision is to be like, I'm not going to go train tonight. Those are the nights you got to train because that is going to kick you back onto track real quick. When you get yeah. in there and you see your boys and they're, they're getting ready to f- tear you up on the mats and that's going to get you on track as opposed to going home and watching TV, which isn't going to do anything for you. Yeah. And if it's, if jujitsu is not your thing, whatever the fuck your thing is, just go and do it. Just force yourself to do it. And if you feel like shit because you ate lunch, then your lunch was you know filled with bullshit well then hey dummy don't eat shitty lunch tomorrow tomorrow try a nice salad yeah. you know try a salad with some salmon and see how you feel then you're like hey i feel way better today at six o'clock duh yeah, yeah. now yeah. your decision making will be better like they, people don't understand how significant it is like all these little decisions they those are like the that's the path for the rest of your existence on earth and if you decide to go to fucking cheetos chocolate chip cookie route you're you're, you're just making a shit path you're carving your fucking path through broken rocks and glass and it's not the way to go Yeah, there's no doubt that the the life change decision isn't one big decision that you make it's no. all these little tiny decisions it's you know having a salad instead of cheetos that's 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 what it is on a daily basis and if you think about that and then you just make the right decision on those little things that's where that's where the change happens. yeah if you just reach in your refrigerator you see the coca-cola right next to the water just go like that <laughs> grab that water just do it. I know you don't want to, but just do it. And you're like, I fucking did it. I grabbed the water. Listen, water doesn't taste good compared to Coca-Cola if your body is like craving that, that heroin of Coca-Cola. <laughs> but the reality is if you were out in the desert and you saw a cold bottle of water, you'd be so excited for that water. You'd be like, oh, it would be the most delicious thing ever. But when you're at a restaurant, you're like, oh, you got any lemonade? Oh, yeah. you know, I want a soda. I want, I want some, some mouth pleasure. Yeah. And if you've ever been truly thirsty before like in the desert where yeah. you haven't had water or you didn't bring enough water and you're really thirsty you c- coke isn't even appealing at that point no, it's nasty you, you, you get, get to feel what it really is you get in that mode where you've been truly thirsty which i've been before you know just not like i was going to die but i've been close to getting some sort of a heat stroke scenario happening and f- and then got to a stream pumped the water drank the water and that's the most beautiful thing in the world when you don't have water and you get it yeah i bet more so even if you're getting it from a stream and then pumping it through a filter and you're mm. just getting it right out of the earth so good oh it's what you're supposed to have folks well i think people are supposed to struggle i think there's there's a part of us that longs for the old times when we were just some sort of primitive monkey people running away from animals. There's that that's still in our DNA. There's no doubt that you have an instinct. I mean, that's why we play sports, right? You yeah. have play sports because you want to compete with people and and look at the rise of, of UFC. Why is that? Because that's the most primal sport you can possibly come up with is I'm going to fight you. That's what we're going to do in a cage. So why is that so popular? We still have that instinct that we want to we want to fight. We want to struggle. We want to survive. Yeah. You know, Dana White and I have talked about this so many times that it it transcends every language like cricket is so giant in England right and in India try putting that shit on TV in America we'll be like get bitch get that fucking stupid <laughs> paddle game off TV what the fuck are you doing we don't even know what's going on yeah. or conversely baseball you play baseball to some country that doesn't accept baseball they're like what is this nonsense yeah. this takes forever yeah. you know I mean the real sport 
of of MMA like is not I mean it is unquestionably it's a sport and there are rules but it transcends you know what's happening you might not understand the ground that much when when submissions but when you see a guy turning red cuz the, uh, the other guys behind him choking the fucking life out of him you get it you see what's happening you understand it yeah, that's another cool thing if you ever you ever teach kids jiu jitsu yeah it's so awesome to say yeah. no you want to put this guy down and, and that's that's all you need to say they go okay and then you give them a little a little little taste of information like if you grab their legs and push them they'll fall down and that's all you need to tell them and then they'll be basically doing double leg takedowns instinctively yeah and it's savage it's yeah, beautiful it is beautiful but you can't do that with you know with a regular sport like baseball okay what you're gonna do is you're gonna have this guy throw the ball to you three times every time you swing if it misses that's a that goes to him and he, he, right you know, how's that work no yeah well it's also there's something feels good about like choking somebody mm. you know it's just there's something about it like even if you're not hurting them I mean, it just feels good. It's, it feels like you're supposed to do it. I mean, maybe just I, you I, and I. No. <laughs> I, I you know, I think anybody, I think anybody that that tries it and gets that. That's why. That's why jujitsu is getting so popular. Yeah. Because you take a random person on the street, male, female, ten years old, twenty years old, forty years old. You put them and you say, okay, when you get them, this other person in this position right here, and you get their arm around, you get your arm around their neck. You can kill them. Or you can accept, you can accept their tap, and you can have mercy on them. That's a powerful feeling. It is it really a powerful. Is powerful feeling. Feeling. <laughs> and we know another thing that's powerful about it is that two guys can be friends and practice killing each other and not even hurt each other. Yeah. Like, like I'm sure you you you've recognized that. Like, I feel better working out with black belts. I feel safer. Oh, for sure. Training with guys that are like super high level than I do with even guys that are like uh, an athletic white belt. It might spaz out and right. accidentally headbutt me. Yeah, and I, I mean, I get asked that question all the time too. Is uh, People say, hey, am I too old to start jujitsu? I'm 52 years old. I'm 49 years old. And what I tell them is, you're not too old. You're definitely not too old, but you need to be smart. And one of the smartest decisions you need to make is choosing your training partners. And you don't want to train if you're a 52-year-old guy that's never trained before and you're a white belt and you're going to get on the mat. The person you don't want to train with is the other white belt that's 22 years old that's on steroids that's going to go psycho and he's going to he just he just doesn't know how to control his body whereas the black belt the black belt the percentage chance of you being hurt by a black belt if you're a white belt that's just you know trying is nearly zero a nearly zero zero. if it's a legit black belt yeah yeah Yeah. i teach my kids class sometimes my kid takes a mixed martial arts class and uh the instructor asked me to come in and demonstrate one particular type of move the other day and so i started i demonstrated it and we were talking about like some different positions that are important for kids to recognize like how to make sure you don't get like kids were giving up their back where they were trying to pass guard they were trying to pass guard and they were pushing down and i'm like you never want to turn your shoulder like that because i had explained to them the arm drag so i'm explain to these kids to arm drag and you see their little brain spinning man and you see them practicing on each other and they're laughing and they're girls you know so you're watching these like eight-year-old girls having the best time like choking each other and everything and going through these motions and to me I I mean I think it's fucking awesome man these kids do it all the time no one's getting hurt They're, they're having a great time with each other and it's just this primal release. Like, let's get all that shit out of there, and then you can be civil. Yeah, well, even if there's no jujitsu instruction involved, and there's no mats around, and you take two kids, and you put them in the yard, 
eventually they're going to start wrestling with yeah. each other and trying to hold each Especially other Especially boys. Yeah, boys for sure. Yeah. Boys yeah, I, for sure. I was at a party once with my kids and these two boys started going at it. And neither one of them had any training, you could tell. But it's just natural. Like they, they're getting their hips low and they're trying to push each other and they're trying to figure it out and neither one of them knew what to do. I kind of wanted to go up and, and start coaching them, but they're just playing in the grass. I didn't want, you know, it's like, it's it's fascinating to see just natural human instincts. Yeah, and that's the other thing I've noticed in teaching kids jujitsu is the kids that are a little bit more cerebral. You're, you're, you know, the parents will think, well, you know, my son, he's, he's kind of a nerd. He's kind of a smart kid. I don't know if he's going to like this. But the opposite is actually true very often where the kid that's cerebral, he'll recognize as soon as you show him three things. It, like you said, his wheels are turning. He's going. Wait a second. This yeah. is this is a skill I can learn. And if I know this, then and the other guy doesn't know this, I'll be able to beat him. And so cerebral kids often get into it even more than than you know some kid that's just kind of a natural bruiser. Oh yeah. I mean, tenth planet jujitsu is filled with nerds. <laughs> They're all nerds. They're assassin nerds. It's really kind of interesting. It is. And and you're 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 not being facetious when you use the word assassin nerds because yeah. you know this is you know if you go back before you knew jiu-jitsu before i knew jiu-jitsu before i knew jiu-jitsu and you know i was a big navy seal 200 pounds one of those kids that's 145 pounds would absolutely have destroyed me if we got into a fight boom take my back put me to sleep you know what i mean i i might you know put up an okay fight and hit him one time in the side of the head and then he's in on my back and put me to sleep that's the reality Nerd assassins coming at you strong. <laughs> well, it is. I mean, it, it, it's a complex game of kinetic chess. I mean, it's more complex than chess because, you know, in chess, you've got these different pieces and they're restricted in their movements. Jiu-Jitsu is not restricted in its movement. And the, the, every transition has so many different possibilities and so many different setups. There's so many different times you get led one way and then just to get you to defend so that they can establish a second position and they get you to defend that so they can establish a third position. Yeah, and that part of it is is what I think really for me transferred from jiu-jitsu to not only to the battlefield but to life as well because the big thing in jiu-jitsu from my perspective is that you don't go strength against strength, right? If I'm I don't if I'm trying to choke you, I don't try and choke you overtly. I don't just grab your neck. No, I work on your arm and I put pressure over here and I pass your guard and then I eventually while you're thinking about something else, Boom, that's when I grab your neck or that's when I grab your arm. And that's what I think on the battlefield, you know, you can't, you just don't attack hardened positions of the enemy and in life. You know, if you're trying to be a leader, you're trying to step up and lead somebody, it, you don't just come down and bark orders at people because that's not as effective as maneuvering and adjusting your position and getting in a, a better position and then getting that person to give you what you want instead of trying to take it from them. Yeah, that's a really uh, important lesson for parenthood. Like, you can't just tell kids what to do. You know, like, you just do it because I told you to do it. They're like, fuck you, I'm going to be a hooker. <laughs> you know, like, that's, that's... Yeah, and that, and that applies not only to kids. And you're, you're 100% it applies to kids, but it applies to adults as well. And that is people need to understand why they're doing what they're doing. And, you know, if I want you to go take down some building and capture some bad guy, I don't go, hey, hey, Joe, I want you to go take down this building. I want you to capture this bad guy. These are the guys I want you to take with you. Here's the route I want you to take in. Here's the methodology I want you to use for the clearance. Because then when I send you to go do that mission, it's not your mission. 
it, it's my mission. I came up with a plan. You didn't. So you might be, you might have thought there was a better way to do it, or you might have had a different idea of how to get it done. And now when you go out there and you meet some kind of resistance, whether it's an obstacle you didn't expect or whether it's some scenario that you didn't foresee, instead of you trying to overcome it, you just blame me. You just look, ah, Jocko came up with this stupid plan and here we are. It's failing. Forget it. We're going back. We're not going to carry out the mission. Whereas if I said, hey, Joe, here's what I want you to do. Go figure out the best way to do it. And now you come up with a plan. And now you make up all the methodology of how you're going to get it done. And you decide who you're going to take with you. Now it's your plan. You own that plan. And when you go out in the field and you meet a little resistance, guess what you do? You say, I'm going to find a way around it. I'm going to overcome this. I'm going to overcome that obstacle. I'm going to make it happen. And that's another piece of leadership. And it's the exact same thing with kids. If you tell your kid, you know, you will get good grades in school, that means nothing to them. But if you explain to them, hey, I, I would love for you to get good grades, and here's why. It's going to open opportunities for you in the future. It's going to allow you to be able to outsmart people because you're going to have more knowledge than them. And then you're going to be able to end up making more money, which is actually going to give you more freedom in the long run instead of doing a job that you don't want to do. If you explain all those things to a kid, it's going to be a lot more successful than just do what I told you, get good grades because I said so. <laughs> now, when you do these conferences where when you, you speak at, at uh, businesses and, and they bring you in to, to sort of have these leadership uh, media, what would you call them? Yeah, they're leadership seminars. Seminars. Yeah. Now, when you have these seminars, are these uh, some of the principles that you discuss when you talk about? Absolutely. Yeah? Absolutely. Because that's another another big piece of this is that all this ideas about interacting with human beings, they just don't change. Like, there's little variants, but whether you're dealing with kids or whether you're dealing with adults and whether you're dealing with business people, whether you're dealing with soldiers on the battlefield... The leadership principles, they don't change. And therefore, you can, whether you're trying to get people to go out and capture and kill a bad guy or whether you're trying to get them to build some product and sell it, the principles of leadership don't change. You're still trying to get a bunch of totally independent people, right? And that's one of the, the myths we have to overcome a lot because everyone thinks, oh, in the military, everyone's just like a robot. And that's just not true. Everybody in the military is free. Th they're people. They're people. They're free-thinking people, and they're going to come up with their own ideas. They're going to have their own agendas, and they're going to think of ways to do things that they think are better than yours. So you can have all these independent free thinkers, and you got to get them on board with the same plan to you to go out and execute. And so it doesn't matter if you're on the battlefield or in business. That's what that's what you're trying to get done, and the leadership principles don't change. To me, that's as a person who's never been in the military. That's it's one of the fascinating aspects of how it works. Is like how. How do you get all these different people to follow through on a plan and wh who are the leaders and why do the leaders have the right ideas and who educates them as to have the, have the right idea to having the right ideas like I know that uh, a lot of people are excited about where the military is right now like Tim Kennedy re-enlisted Yeah, and he God bless him. Yeah, he re-enlisted because he believes that the military has support now and look Tim Kennedy believes he was put on this earth to kill bad guys and that's what he wants to do I, mean, I, went, I think I agree with Tim Kennedy. I think I agree with him, too. <laughs> For I mean, sure. Obviously, he enjoys it. <laughs> I mean, he's yeah. not fucking around. I mean, he's, he went back in. He put his, his, his money where his mouth is. And in his eyes, that this is, you know, this is the way that it should have been, that you should give the military the chance to do their job. That's their idea. And then other people believe that there should be much more civilian oversight and there should be much more, much more checks and balances before things get done. This is, this is a right, big debate right. that's going on today. Well, I think there's two different things that you just talked about. That is what the military gets told to do and how they do it. And those are two different things. And I, I think that, yes, yeah, absolutely, the civilians 
should control and do control the military, by the way. They do control. The, the civilians are under or the military is under control of civilians. And yet once you say, OK, this is what we want to have happen. You need to let the military professionals figure out how they're going to go and make it happen. Yeah, that's that's where it gets tricky, right? Because if you're in the like one of the things that was explained to me by uh, a friend who's a Navy SEAL, he was saying that when something needs to get done and you have all these people that are telling you how you can do it, how you can't do it, like it, it, people that are not in experiencing combat and don't understand what what could or could not go sideways, like to put more problems in place or to put more checks and balances in place you're actually going to put these people in more danger. That, that is true. Yeah, you should, like I said, if you let the civilians decide what it is that needs to be accomplished and then the military leaders decide how they're going to go ahead and make that, that happen. And I mean, it goes, back to, it goes back to Vietnam. You know, there was too much civilian oversight of what was happening in Vietnam and the military leaders were, they didn't really have the, the, the wherewithal, not even the wherewithal, they didn't have the free reign to go out and try and make things happen the way they wanted to, and it ended up in a big quagmire. Well, Vietnam seems like, to me, from an outsider, to be one of the most fucked up wars ever. Absolutely. it didn't totally make sense that it was happening, and then now we know that the Gulf of, Con- Gulf of Tonkin was very likely a false flag, and that there was some sort of motivation to get there in the first place, and then you're dealing with guerrilla warfare for the first time ever in U.S. history. Like They didn't exactly know how to handle this. No, we didn't, and we didn't adapt very well to what was happening on the ground, which is always going to be problematic if you have closed-minded people in the military. If people are closed-minded, they're, they're, you're not going to be able to move forward against a, when, when the battlefield changes, and the battlefield changes all the time. I mean, you can look at Iraq. Iraq, the battlefield changed drastically from this big conventional force that we went up there to fight against Saddam's big army. Well, once that fell apart, then what happened? Now, all of a sudden, we were facing guerrillas again and an insurgency, and it took us several years to change our strategy from... We didn't even know what to do. We're like, oh my god, you know, what do we do? There's all these people running around What do we do with these all these people running around and how do we get these people under control and and the civilians want us here? And and yet if we don't do the right thing now the civilians don't want us here What do we need to do? So it took us some time to adjust our strategy in Iraq and luckily we had some good leaders that that went ahead and made those changes Isn't it also that when when you're in war and the, the strategy or not the strategy but the motivation is very clear like if you're fighting against Hitler's army in World War two yeah this is very clear that you're right. dealing with an evil force whereas in Vietnam it's like wait a minute why are we here like what's going on yeah, communism what's happening extremely extremely challenging no doubt and that that is why and you know I've talked about this before if if America or any nation is going to go to war, you have to decide that this is the most important thing in the world. You have to, and the wills that I talk about that you have to have to, to execute this war, you got to have, you got to have the will to kill people. And, and again, I say this all the time, no one wants to hear it because it's ugly and horrible. But when you say you're going to kill people in war, you're not just going to be able to perfectly kill just the bad guys. Civilians are going to die. It is a nightmare. Kids, women, it's horrible. It's awful. And if you think, oh, I'm going to go to war and we're just going to kill the bad guys, it's not going to happen. War is too complex. It's just not going to be, be saying like, hey, I'm going to go and fight in the UFC and I'm not going to get hit. 
It's not going to happen. You're going to get hit. You're going to get bruised up. You're going to get dinged. And it's the same thing in war. So you have to have the will to kill people. Of course, it's easy to have the will to kill the bad guys. But then you have to accept the fact that some innocent people are going to die. And that is going to be awful. And then on the other side of the coin is, of course, if you're going to send people to war, people, Americans are going to die. And there's nothing you can do about it. You have to accept that fact. And, you know, that's why Vietnam was just the ultimate tragedy in, re- in, in many respects, because we were killing a lot of civilians. We were losing a lot of Americans, but we weren't progressing the way we needed to. It is a nightmare. I agree with you 100%. What do you think about transparency? Like uh, when the Bush administration wouldn't let them take photographs of coffins and and send them home like a lot of people are really upset because there's a lot of people that felt like look Americans should know that there's a cost to this and they should know that there's consequences to these actions and they were saying that these consequences and knowing about these consequences could lessen morale could lessen support back at home when they really need it and that people didn't really need to know this that what they need to know is we're on the right track and we're doing well yeah I, I- that's a tough one. And whether it's the right decision to keep the Americans in their beautiful bubble that they live in and, and let them know that this war is happening, but you don't have to see the the brave Americans coming home that have sacrificed their lives. And interestingly, if you remember, I think it was uh, Tarawa, the Battle of Tarawa in World War II. And for the first time, so we were we needed money to run World War II, a lot of money, war bonds and all that. And we were kind of falling behind and we needed some money. And one of the first times that they released a lot of pictures of American dead Americans was I I think it was the Battle of Tarawa and there was all these Americans washing up on the beach I mean Marines that had drowned and got shot and it was awful but they did it for a reason they did it to show like hey this is real this is happening we need to put pitch in we need money we need to you know save save meat save uh, oil don't use your cars we all need to get in for the big win right and that's the opposite of what we're talking about when they're saying, hey, you're not allowed to take pictures of, of dead yeah. Americans that are being killed. And, you know, I, I think there should be some level of transparency there when it, you should you, America should see what is happening. What is the cost? Because it's real easy for Americans to to sit there and allow these young kids to go overseas and fight and die or be wounded, gravely wounded. And just to shut those, you know, just ignore them because I'm I don't care because I'm over here in the mall. No, maybe we should, uh, maybe we should not only, you know, maybe we should not only show pictures of the coffins that are coming back, but maybe we should explore and show the lives that those men sacrificed and who they were and what they did and what their families were like and their their wife and kids and mom and dad that they left behind that they gave up. And why did they give it up? Because they believed in freedom. And so now we're just going to say, oh, that's not happening. No, it's happening, and you need to you need to know it. It is kind of strange, right? When you think about how little access to information people really had back in World War II, they were counting on the news, they were counting on newspapers, and now today we have massive, massive access to information instantaneously, but yet you get less of it when it comes to that. Yeah, and and in some ways you get more of it. I mean, obviously, when there's an incident that happens overseas, you can find out about it on Twitter as fast as you can find out about it through, you know, waiting for a real news right. source to come up with it. But you don't get anything that's like specifically distributed by the US government to let you know the consequences of a war and say hey folks we need your support this is what's really going down these are american citizens and this is what's happening to them over there yeah and then the same thing could be said if for hey sometimes civilians are going to get killed yeah. and, and what do we do what do we do then do we brush that under the rug and we just show the americans getting killed or do you universally show what's happening what war is man war is jacked up 
I'm here to tell you, war is not glorious, it is not fun, and it is, it is a horrible, horrible event. And so, yeah, I think you should expose it. And I think you should expose it at a, at a high level so that people understand what we're getting into. And, and, and as horrible as war is, there's many times throughout history where war is the absolute, in my mind, in my opinion, the right thing to do, and we don't have a choice. And, and we need to do something when, when horrible things are happening. And, and, you know, I think that's, you know, on my podcast, I talk about, like, the, like I said, I talk about war and death and horrible genocide. And, and that's one of the reasons why I think it's, it's gotten a lot of traction is because I'm talking about things that are otherwise being ignored. And I think people do want to know. I think people do want to understand war at a deeper level. So that way, when they hear a politician up there saying, hey, we should go to war, they can at least say to themselves, I know what, I know what he's talking about. And he's yeah. not just talking about, hey, we're going to wave the flag and we're going to send some soldiers over there. They're going to kick ass. They're going to come home. And we're going to high five. That's not what war is. And let's not ever forget that that's not what war is. War is a man and another man on a battlefield surrounded by peopled civilians and they're trying to kill each other and it's a bloodbath and we we shouldn't forget that and is it necessary sometimes it absolutely is it absolutely is necessary sometimes but we better weigh our our minds heavily before we make that decision to go and execute now when you think about the evolution of human beings you think about how much safer it is today versus how it was thousands of years ago. Do you ever foresee a time where war won't exist? I don't know. You know, people joke with me a lot about the robot wars and and robots being able to accomplish wars. I actually believe that thing will come. I mean, we've got drones right now that that are very capable. Pretty soon we'll have land warfare robots that will be able to go in and clear buildings and, and make things happen. And then will the enemy then have robots that will fight our robots at some point? Yeah. And then at some point, will that elevate to a point where we're not dealing with physical robots anymore, but just the software behind the robots? And now it's just a big sort of cyber warfare? That, that, is, that seems conceivable to me. Now, Joe, don't mistake me for some kind of like a Sam Harris intellectual over here or <laughs> that I'm going to sit here and explain to you what the future of, you know, warfare from a technical perspective. But from my from my rudimentary thought process, could it not elevate to a point where we have robots fighting robots and then that eventually escalates to a point where it's some kind of cyber warfare where it's not physical, but it's just information based. I, that does make sense to me that that could happen. Yeah, it makes sense to me, too, especially when you see those Boston Dynamic robots. Have you seen those yeah, goddamn awesome. things? You kick them over, they bounce yeah. back up, they run up hills, they can run like 60 miles an hour. Yeah. They're, they're freaks. I mean, it's it's really, and what they're doing now is just, I mean, who knows where they're going to be 10 years from now. I mean, they're going to be solar powered, the, they'll be able to live out there with no food. Yeah, it'll be awesome. And, yeah. and, then, and then, then where will we go? Will those robots fight people for a while? Probably people that don't know any people better. that don't the people that don't yeah. have good robots yet. Yeah, and that's not going to be fun for the people without robots, right? And we'll see where it goes from there. Yeah, I mean, well. I think that's just a surrender scenario, right? If you got a, a, a if let's say America has these robots that can just come in with ruthless precision and take out bad guys, and you know you're going to be at their mercy. Yeah. yeah, there's a fucking science fiction movie, right? Like China develops robots that take over New York City. Yeah. Like, look at this goddamn thing. <laughs> yeah. He's one of these Boston so Dynamic awesome. robots. It's just, 
It's so weird, man, to see them moving around. Yeah, and what's interesting, I've seen some other ones. Like, you don't need, they, they put all this effort into making it actually walk instead of have, you know, wheels or tracks or whatever. The, you know, wheels or tracks with little pods that could get over mm-hmm. things would be, they want this to look like for a person for some reason. A, a, a human shape is not necessarily the most effective, you know, structure for fighting it's not even for good robots. for us. Right, yeah, barely. Yeah, I mean, what's one of the reasons why our backs are so fucked up? We're yeah. not, you know, you can't even talk us into standing up straight. I can pick up 10 pounds. Okay, what's the big deal? I'm better than that. Yeah. Fuck this robot. <laughs> <laughs> Someday, though. Well, it's, it's just, we like things that look like us for, for whatever reason. You know, we like the idea that this thing is going to look like us. But yeah, I agree with you. It doesn't need to. It should, it's no. probably not the best And the real, the real combat robots probably won't look like, they won't be bipedal. Is that no. a word? Yeah, bipedal. Yeah, they won't be bipedal. They'll probably have little treads or something and just yeah. haul ass at 60 miles an hour with a machine gun. Or on. they'll have many legs. Like, uh, what was that one that was like a cheetah? There's a, some some crazy one that's like a cheetah and it runs at some fucking ridiculous <laughs> speed and it's terrifying They had one that was on a treadmill. Is this the cheetah one? Again, it's obviously not the best Galloping it's not the best structure because you have to make this thing up and run whereas right. with wheels on it or treads or something Like a oh. tank a mini tank. Yeah but I, I wonder, like, for getting over logs and stuff like that, if there's any sort of benefit. They also have those ones that leap up in the air and they yeah. can go over, they go over the top of walls and shit. Yeah, that's what you need is some kind of a legs that can pop out if they need to. Yeah. Maybe we should just design this thing and take over. Oh, there you go. Here's one with wheels. Yeah, yeah see, see, that, that one's got, that's good, the best of both yeah, worlds, right? Yeah, that one's fucking terrifying. <laughs> that one's got front legs and it's got back wheels. Yeah, they're not fucking playing games. D- didn't Google buy them? Isn't that? Yeah, I believe so. Google Skynet. That's what we should be careful of. Yeah, Google is a, powerful. God damn. Their big announcement they made this week about their Google I.O. at Assistant AI stuff is pretty crazy, too. I don't know a bunch of the uh, information, so I can't tell you. Just look it up. People it, are getting scared. This is like the <laughs> Google Siri type thing? Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. This is for the new Pixel phone? Yep, yep. What is, uh, they made a bunch of extra announcements on top of that, too. What's so, supposed to be significant? Whoa, do you see that thing yeah, jump thing over a jumped, fucking... Yeah. Look at this. Yeah, see, that's the thing you gotta oh, watch yeah, out for. Oh, yeah, fuck that thing. See, without even knowing it, I was saying wheels Whoa, and legs. It's and perfect. Boom, there you go. <laughs> but that thing, rewind that a little bit. Watch it go over the wall. It jumps over a wall. Look a little bit before that. Yeah, watch this. Watch what this fucking thing can do, man. After it does this, it goes down these stairs, and then it gets to, I mean, it's, it gets to this wall, like a, a hurdle. And it fucking bounces over this hurdle like it's nothing. There's snow, doesn't matter. Grass doesn't matter. Yeah, Ice, as long as it doesn't no break factor. one of those stupid wheels. The problem is, what are those wheels made out of? You shoot one of those wheels, that thing's fucked. But look at this. Ba-doing! Yep. Bounces right over that, no problem. Tucks its legs. It looks terrifying. Yeah. And then put it, cover it in like some creepy fucking fake skin like an alien. You know? Yeah, and then you'd put sensors on it, yeah. you know, uh, thermal sensors and night vision oh, sensors, yeah. and you wouldn't be able to get away from it. Yeah, you'd no just way. hunt you down and kill you. I mean, just think about that technology and then add that Tesla technology for self driving cars mm-hmm. and knows where all the cars are and everything. <laughs> We're just we're just a few years away from something very very bizarre. Yeah, I again I kind of look forward to it. Bring bring, <laughs> bring on the robots. I want to fight them. I'll go down in a blaze of glory. 
Yeah, that's like ripping Duke out Nukem battery, style. <laughs> ripping out battery cords and trying to take their lives. Yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger in Terminator. It's funny because when that Google Assistant can see and understand the world around you, what? They built that like Google the Google Lens thing that used to be existing and they took it away. It's kind of just built what into was the new Google phone. Lens? The thing you used, oh, that thing you tried. The sunglasses? Oh, you know, you mean Google Glasses. Glasses, yeah, I'm sorry. Google glasses. Lens is that thing that translates the world, that translates languages. It's, they, they just kind of put all that data into this and so now it's on that phone and everyone will have it that has the new pixel in it. So what does it do? It's doing a bunch, it, as far as I know right now, it's a bunch of AI information. So it's looking at barcodes and QR codes all over the place. And it's, you don't even have to have a really, like, uh, excuse me, a good version of it. You can do it from far away and it can read it. It can be really low uh, pixelated. I'm not saying the right word, I'm losing the word. Um, Resolution? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Low resolution. You can okay, have a low so, resolution that can pick it up from far away, too. Off the TV. So that's cool and this everything, a, but like, this is what, showing a gas what is barcode? Why, why do you need to read barcodes? Yeah, Somebody that, tell me. Well, I know one thing it's <laughs> the new Pixel's supposed to do. Like, say if you have, like, the Stevia and you want, oh, I want to get this. You know, it's got a little barcode. You put your phone up to it. It'll show you a link on Amazon, oh, and okay. you can one-click it just like that. Right, right, right. So that's one good thing that it does for the barcodes, but, you know. It can compare prices in stores, it's saying automatically. Whether it's using Amazon and they'll block that might be. So basically we're moving into the ultimate age of consumerism. Yeah. <laughs> I want to buy this now. It's just a step up in instantaneous, pur instantaneous purchasing. But, yeah. like, as far as, like, reading the world around you, what else is it doing? Uh, I mean, I think you have to hold it up to see it. So it's right here, it says you can aim it at a flower, and it'll and it will identify the species. Whoa! You can point, pull up a band's music or videos by pointing the lens at a concert poster. Whoa! So like right now, there's something that popped up on Apple's phone recently that people don't really know because it's hard to see. Like if I type in your name, Joe, it gets underlined, and if you click that, a whole bunch of information pops up and leads to like all of your things on Apple Music. It leads to your web page. It's wow. like a little Siri assistant thing, but it's, it hasn't been advertised, and it's not really – it doesn't work for every person's name. Like, it might not work for Jocko Willing, but it will work for Joe Rogan, and it might in the future if they update it, or I don't know who needs to update huh. it, but it's kind of – it's cool, too. And this is a, an, an updated version of that, I believe. And just to bring this conversation back to where we were, the further we go in this direction of – technology being in every part of our lives the further away we get from having to struggle with things and the bigger hole there's going to be in the, the, the hole that you sense and i sense which is if you're not struggling if you're not working if you're not fighting for something that's just going to go further and further into the past and further and further down and people are going to have that hole to fill up somehow yeah the physical body needs it has requirements it has stress requirements. And if you, I always do, the way I talk about it is like a battery and like almost like, but not a conventional battery the way we think of is, but almost like a storage vessel for energy. And then if you don't do anything with that energy, it sort of oozes over the side and fucking battery acid crusts the outside of it. Like it gets all fucked up. But if you just keep pumping out energy, you keep doing something, it maintains some sort of homeostasis. It maintains some sort of a balance point. It, it maintains some sort of a, a, a operational happiness mm -hmm. like wh where the body's not fighting against itself because i think that a lot of people's bodies are just fighting against them and a lot of like the way the decisions they're making it's a big of it a big part of it is it's just not taking care of their meat vehicle so they're getting all this confusing messages from the flesh yeah i i mean we see that every day when you walk around america and you see oh, people yeah. that are just you wonder how much longer they're going to be able to survive and what happens if they if there's a fire and they have to run 
yeah. they're not going to make it around the corner. Dude, go to Disneyland. Everybody's on a scooter. It's weird. Mm. It's so weird. And I have a friend who works at Disneyland, and he was telling me, like, he started working there 10 years ago. It was rare to see someone on a scooter. And now they're all on scooters, and they're not on scooters because they got a broken leg, yeah. they're, or they're old. They're on scooters because they've eaten themselves into this unmanageable shape. Well, again, even five years ago, if you wanted to eat yourself into miserable shape, you had to walk to the grocery store to do that, which was at least some form of movement. And now you just one click on Amazon, and you got the the Cheetos in ultra large size showing up at your front door in Ugh. two hours. And they're going to come in a drone soon. Yeah. And by the way, you can just it'll be like Cheetos, and then it'll it'll put you up the other things that you will probably want too. If you want Cheetos, you probably want two liters of Coke, and you probably want some marshmallows to go with that. And there you go, two hours, it's there, <laughs> and you're just killing yourself. What the fuck, man? <laughs> like, when is this going to end? I wonder when. They're going to be able to figure out a way to compensate for all the the shit that like just some sort of a, a pill that figures out or even CRISPR. I was I was listening to this Radio Lab podcast where they're updating CRISPR. Where do you know what CRISPR is? No, it's a, a new tool that they have that they're using to modify genes, Ooh. and they uh, they've only figured it out over the last few years, and apparently they've already started doing work on non-viable fetuses in China with this. That's what they say. Who knows whether... They, by the time they say that, my thought is the guy telling you is probably some fucking fake person by then. <laughs> you know, by the time it actually gets to the news, who knows what kind of crazy advancements they're making, you know, behind the Iron Curtain or yeah. where... Is there, is, is there an Iron Curtain anymore? Well, there's China and there's yeah. definitely some things going on in China that... Oh, for sure. Are, they're doing some dark shit yeah. with people and this goddamn technology. But they think that they're not only going to be able to use this gene editing tool, but they're going to be able to implant this gene editing tool into our genetics so that your own genes start doing the work of CRISPR for you. So things like, they think it's going to take the place of antibiotics, they think it's going to be able to edit out things like Alzheimer's, like whatever the gene is for Alzheimer's, they'll be able to edit that out so Alzheimer's will no longer exist. I mean, it's, it's going to be really, really strange because people are going to have to make decisions. Yeah, and I think the stuff is going to come quickly once it, like, once we turn the corner. Oh, it yeah. seems like it's going to come fast. Oh, it's going to come real fast. And there's going to be some weird mutations that happen in there too. Yeah, there's going to be people that look like the Hulk. Yeah. There's going to be. And there's going to be people. some people that have one eye and, and two heads, and just going to be all jacked up. And they're going to. What do we do to those people? Right. The ones that didn't like you got that. It didn't work right. Tijuana is CRISPR job. Is well, so is CRISPR a pill? Is it a No, it's some sort of a gene editing tool. I don't know the actual mechanism behind it. I don't understand it. I've only like listened to people talk about it and read things on it. And then how far away is immortality from that? Because once you can eliminate all these different diseases. Yeah, I think like a hundred years. And I always thought if you could just clone your body and then you let your body grow to be twenty years old, then you just take your brain out, put it inside that new body, then you're good to go. It, I think it's going to be even creepier than that. I think they're going to be able to turn back the clock. Because I think that when you think about like cellular aging, like, mm -hmm. well, what is it? Your body's not reproducing. You know, every cell in your body, except for your neurons, reproduces like somewhere between every three to seven years or something like that, right? Your neurons are the only things that you keep for the, for the whole life. And so what they're thinking is that like as time goes on your you know your cells reproduce shittier and shittier and your telomeres shrink oh, and okay. doesn't do what well, well they'll be able to flip that around so that as time goes on you'll be like Benjamin Buttons you'll start uh, getting younger and younger 
which would be really weird if they fuck it up and you start turning into a baby. <laughs> you know, you're like some 50-year-old, and then all of a sudden you're like, dude, I'm 12 again. Like, this is not good. Next year I'm going to be 11, yeah. you know? Like, if it goes backwards in that direction, if they can literally halt it, like, if they can take you and then, like, say if you're a 40-year-old woman and they put you on a 20-year program, and they're like, well, in 20 years, instead of being 60, you're going to be 20, and this is how it's going to work. Next year you're going to be 39. Next, That's totally conceivable. That's totally conceivable. Oh, totally, a hundred percent conceivable, possible, and likely. Yeah, yeah. Then, then that immortality thing isn't that far away. Then the only thing that's going to fuck you up is accidents and murder and yeah. you know shit like that. And Asteroids. Is life become more precious then? Because now you're thinking, hey, I don't want to go skydiving because I could actually live for thousands of years if I don't screw this up. I think more likely you're going to see a lot more parkour and those assholes that are doing backflips off the Grand Canyon, like that kind of shit. You're going to see you're going to see more 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 people that are like wanting to feel alive by taking crazy risks. Yeah, those Russian dudes though. Ah, uh, well, I had James Kingston on the podcast. He's that crazy asshole from England. Yeah, great just... kid. But he's he does backflips on the top of fucking buildings in Dubai and shit. Yeah. Like, what are you doing, man? Yeah, you posted one of those the other day, and Ooh. you said something like, you know, I don't know how you wrote it, but you said something like, right? <laughs> and I watched it, and I was like, my sentiments exactly. That is jacked up. There was one just a couple of days ago. These guys released it. They were on the Golden Gate Bridge. I didn't even watch it. Did you see it, Jamie? <laughs> I wouldn't even watch it. They're like daredevils were on the Golden Gate Bridge, but you see them on the very top of the Golden Gate Bridge doing some silly shit. Hanging off the edge like ah! yeah. I did some dumb er stuff when I was younger I did some rock climbing without ropes not not any Alex Honnold stuff But you know where I would definitely get injured if I fell that was just being young and stupid I remember one time we were I was on a ship out in the middle of the a Navy ship out in the middle of the ocean somewhere I was in a seal platoon somewhere and me and one of my buddies, we were doing pull-ups off the side of the ship at night on a little cable. Oh, Jesus and, Christ. And, you know, if that cable breaks or if we slip off and fall, you're 100% going to die. But we were doing it anyways because we were just young and stupid. Wow. Yeah. And you wanted to feel the juice. Yeah, just feel the juice <laughs> pre-war, you know. There's no war going on. How do we prove to our buddies that we are brave and badass? You do stupid stuff. Oh. Dumb stuff. Hanging off the side of a ship on a cable doing yeah. shit. <laughs> 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 Ooh, what is that rush like? Yeah, it's got to be a crazy rush, right? Knowing that you can't let go. Yeah, it's just dumb, mm. you know. But what do you do when you're whatever, twenty three years old? There's something that, it, like, particularly in the human brain, there's something that resonates about hanging from something by your hands. Mm. Like that's one of the scariest <laughs> ones. It's like Kingston is on this gigantic crane. <laughs> And he's hanging on to the crane with his hands, and then he does it with one hand. <sighs> he's hanging there, and he's fucking hundreds of feet up. And if he falls, he's just splatter. He's just a water balloon. Oh, but there's something about, for some reason, like balancing is scary, but hanging is really scary. I'm the opposite. For really? me, uh, balance is scarier than hanging. I'd rather hang. I feel pretty pretty good hanging well, you on got a something. good grip yeah i don't you do feel a lot good. of chin-ups i don't feel good about the the balancing because i think you know i could trip and fall that's it what's the life expectancy of kingston not so good i mean he knows that right yeah he's got to know that he's a smart guy too which is really weird and really calm like look at these fucking assholes <gasps> oh jesus christ <laughs> 
Oh my God, this guy, folks, if you're listening, uh, this guy has a skateboard and he is on a uh, uh, a beam. Come on. I mean, like what? A couple thousand feet in the yeah. fucking air? Holy yeah. shit, it's terrifying. <laughs> I mean, how many of these guys die? It's not that many. That's what's weird about it. I, I, saw, I saw a video of one guy frapping in. Oh, really? Yeah, he didn't make it. Where was this? I don't know. Some, somewhere in Russia, of course. What was he doing? Doing this, walking around up on some high area. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. This kid is... Oh, Jesus. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. They get, they get right to the edge with skateboards. Look barefoot. What the fuck, dude? Yeah. What is that? Why so, is it? Did you talk to him about how he mm. how he built into this? Did he start yeah. at twenty feet and then he went to thirty feet and then he got more confident? No, I don't think or he so. Just, I just think he just started fear doing it. Gene. Well, he's got the. He's a smart guy. He's a weird guy because you meet him, you're expecting like I'm gonna talk to this methed out psychopath who just <laughs> just wants to just get a juice rush all day long. No, he's super calm and relaxed and normal. It's weird. Doesn't make any sense. But where did it start for him? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. He's got a normal family. Seems healthy. Yeah, he just likes it. People are weird. Aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> They're weird. Yeah, I mean, I mean like, Alex Honnold. You had Alex Honnold yeah. on, and, and you know, we, my family, we go up to Yosemite and stuff, so we are familiar. But you can see how he kind of edged into it, right? Yeah. And you start climbing, and you got ropes, and then you get really good at it, and then you're like, you know what? I can probably make it to there without a rope. And then next thing you know, you probably make it there too. And then the next thing you know, you're climbing, you know, El Capitan with no rope or Half Dome with no rope, which is completely. You been to Yosemite? Yeah, completely insane to even think about that. He does some insane stuff where you're going backwards, like yeah. you're at a reverse degree, you know, like 15 degrees the wrong way. Yeah. Like, and he climbs <laughs> up it to go above it, and he's got no ropes, and he's just hanging on with his hands. It's like, what the fuck, dude? Yeah. He was telling us a story about one time where he's halfway up the mountain, he realized he forgot his powder. <laughs> so he ran into some other people that were up there that were on ropes. He yeah. said, hey, can I borrow your powder? They're like, uh, you don't have any powder? <laughs> like, yeah, borrow powder. And he left the powder bag at the top of the mountain, yeah. like... Yeah, and I've, I heard him talking about it that he, for him, it's not a big deal because he knows how strong he is and he knows what his limitations are. So it doesn't, for it, it's like he's comfortable with it, yeah. right? He's comfortable. It's like, you know, someone walking on a balance beam that does it all the time, they're going to be comfortable with it. And he's climbing stuff all the time. So he's more comfortable. It's still hard to get a grip on, though. It's hard to get a grip. You know, when I was hosting Fear Factor, we had this one thing that we did where uh, we pe had people hang from a pole that was suspended over this water. And it was shocking how, like, the least, the little amount of time, the small amount of time that men in particular could hang from a pole. Like, they were like a minute what? in, these guys were dropping into the water. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, women <laughs> want it. Like, really? Yeah, women want it because they have their, they have lighter bodies. Oh, so even though their yeah, hands yeah. might be weaker, like, and one guy was fucking jacked. He was like this football player looking dude. Oh, yeah. And he didn't make it, man. He yeah. was like a minute and 15 in, plopping into the water. I was like, this is crazy. Yeah, I had, I had a guy in my, my SEAL training class that was a big, giant monster guy, and he couldn't complete the obstacle course. No. You know? Too many didn't have the hand strength. There's too much, too much mass behind you that you're asking small limbs or small digits to control. And then also too much of uh, your heart has got to pump too much blood through that tissue. 
there's like a point of diminishing returns when it comes to size. Yeah. You know, and that that's one of the things that you saw when you'd see Cain Velasquez fight guys. Mm-hmm. Cain Velasquez has always been in that sweet spot of about mm-hmm. 240. Mm-hmm. 240 to me is about as big as you want to get. Because mm-hmm. the guys over 240, man, they might fuck you up in the first few minutes, but you take them into that fourth and fifth minute of the first round, and then they're huffing and puffing, and then in the second round, they're getting their asses kicked. And the Cain Velasquez storm was the, one of the more fascinating things to watch in all my years of the UFC because he was a heavyweight yep. that had the cardio of a lightweight. Yep. But he was, again, 240 pounds. A well-marbled mar- well 240 yeah. pounds. Yeah. So he's not like he was a lean. No. You know, he, had some, he, he always looks a little bit... He had a lot like of Mexican food. <laughs> yeah. He had Kane, some rice and beans on his ass. You would see Kane <laughs> eating lunch. You would be like, for real? Like you're like one of the elite heavyweights ever, yeah. and he's sitting there with fucking ten tacos and shit. And you know that's a talent too. Uh, having that kind of sustained energy is a talent. Just like some guys are super flexible, and some guys ha- are super strong and explosive, and some guys just have that. They can they have that range. And, and what is it? It's medium twitch muscles, right? It's medium twitch, slow twitch. Uh, yeah. Well, no, that there's not. there's slow there's twitch, which is I'm a marathoner, right? And then there's fast twitch, which is I'm an Olympic weightlifter. But uh, in recent years, they've said there's actually something in the middle medium Hmm. twitch which is i'm strong but i can go for a long time that's interesting i didn't know about that but it makes sense and that's what a guy like kane is because kane like you said i mean for him to be able to get in there and go five rounds pushing away pushing around another guy that weighs 260 pounds yeah that's beast mode right there there's a lot going on with kane i think one thing is going on is genetics he has incredible genetics and they they like um bob cook would tell me that kane would be out for months like get an injury and come back and just outwork everybody like he just have insane cardio so maybe it's also that his base was so rock solid that his out of shape for three months is everybody else's you know peak condition yeah and it's one of the reasons why he was able to overwhelm so many people. But also, like, when you see Kane execute things, he's never straining. Like, yeah. Kane, everything is perfect technique. There's no, like, there's no, like, grunting and forcing anything. There's no, like, crazy looks on his face and, yeah. like, yeah. Ah, windmill yeah. punches. Everything is clean and crisp, and it's all, like, uh, very efficient. efficient yeah, he's a machine, and obviously that comes from training hard. And is that training hard? too hard has he been training too hard is that why he's all dinged up and missing fights because of injuries well there's also like the mind like his mind is so strong that he's able to overcome the feeling of pain but sometimes like elite athletes especially fighters they can't distinguish between what is just like dings like everybody gets dinged up but something that's a a significant injury like hey you've got a compromise in the structure of your body if you keep pushing it you're gonna blow this knee out you're gonna fuck this disc up you're gonna need surgery and Kane's had a gang of surgeries now shoulder knees back and now you know he's he's been out for quite a while with this uh, most recent back issue so it sucks because in my opinion it's like him and Fedor you know those are the two greatest heavyweights of all time interestingly same similar body style yeah Yeah. 230 240 well marbled yeah yeah fedor fedor at his peak had like the ultimate dad bod (laughs) he had like a a dad that used to play rugby you know but but they'd fuck guys up they'd post those videos though of him training in russia Mm -hmm. running with his buddies and swinging kettlebells and you're like yeah this guy works hard oh yeah hard no doubt he just probably ate shitty food yeah just and tons of it you know (laughs) but it's also like their methodology is just different I mean, he was like very, very old school with his methods. Like he was doing kettlebells, but way before.
before CrossFit or oh, anything sure. came to America. I mean, there was an there's an old school picture. See if you could find it, Jamie. Back when he was jacked, like he <laughs> he got smaller as his career went on because he stopped doing strength and conditioning as his body got older uh. and for, focused more on uh, skill work. But there's this ancient picture, not ancient, but there's a picture of him standing there shirtless um, around a bunch of kettlebells. Bunch of old kettlebells, yeah. yeah, yeah. I this remember is that like picture. Two thousand one or something like that, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and the thing that I think that he really had was he had a good. He, his skill, in my mind, was that he was a really good grappler. He's a really good striker. But he, the way he mixed them together, yeah. you would see him just like hit somebody in the face and then th- judo throw them and then arm lock them or choke them. And, yeah. and it was all just so smooth. I don't think anyone knew what to defend because if they defended one thing, they were get, if they defended it a, a, a grappling move, they were getting punched in the face. If they de- defended a punt, they were getting taken down. Yeah, he was something special, man. And you know, he was something special for quite a long time too. I don't. I don't think anybody can keep going longer than like. I mean, there's like a time that you can compete at the highest level. Some folks think it's about eight, nine years. That like, and, and after eight, nine years, the highest level, like nobody's body holds up. Yeah, it just all falls apart. And, and you know, as much as I'm talking good about Fedor and his style and everything, let's face it. What was the best about Fedor? was his attitude when he would just come in there with no emotions, dead just face. raise his hand, dead face. You know, they'd introduce him, he'd just raise his hand, he'd destroy someone, and he would have the same expression yeah. on his face like before he fought. He just had total absence of emotion that was, to me, that's what I always thought, yes, yeah. That's he why Fedor's right up there at the top of my list. Yeah, there's the picture. Just, <laughs> exactly. Just jacked, <laughs> standing around a bunch of fucking iron cannonballs uh, yeah, with handles uh, on them. And those aren't some little kettlebells either. Yeah, I bet that picture alone must have sold millions of dollars of kettlebells. <laughs> <laughs> People saw that picture and they're like, I got to get some, man. But he also was very smart. And that's his brother, actually. Yeah. He was very God. smart with his training where, you know, he spent some time in uh, Holland. Yeah, that's that's him and his brother, like, way back in the day. Get a picture of his brother now. Get a picture of Alexander now. He just got out of jail. Yeah. I don't I wonder if he's going to fight again. His brother was a bad motherfucker, yeah, too, was. man. He was. He's an animal. He's got the... Uh, There's something about Russians, man. For sure. They're a different kind of white people. <laughs> they're totally different. They just... They're so much different. Well, it's the hard upbringing. Oh, yeah, man. Uh, Diamonds. Diamonds made out of pressure. And the other guy that comes to mind when we're thinking about old school fighters that really, it wasn't just his skill set, which was unbelievable, but Sakuraba. Mm. Because the way Sakuraba, his craziness. Oh, yeah. And just to go in there and just have that incredibly playful attitude. Also, chain smoked and drank (sighs) through his entire camp. Chain smoked and drank. Yeah. I went out with him in Japan after one of his fights one time. Really? Yeah. What'd he do? He was just getting after it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. that attitude of not giving a fuck is like, that's what yeah. worked so well for him inside the inside the ring. Yeah, well, I know we see this all the time with fighters. We see it with anybody that is going to live out on the fringe like that. They're going to have some sort of offset. There's there's another there's for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction right so you get a guy that's living that far on the edge like like Sakuraba was that that edge just doesn't stop when he gets out of the cage right, right. he's going and gonna get after it more yeah. he <laughs> yeah. had some horrible losses though Oof. he got he got you know used and and exploited worse than anyone else right I mean yeah. worse than any other fighter no one has been exploited and put into those horrible fights where he just wasn't out I mean, he was just outmatched he was old he wasn't trained right and they would just put him in there and just let him get destroyed well his knees were mangled 
So he would wrap his knees up like a mummy. Yeah, yeah. They were horrible, yeah. and you knew that that was a real injury. Like he had, like he couldn't move so good. His knees were all wrapped up and fucked up. And then they put him in there with Vanderlei, and Vanderlei knocked him out what three times? God. Brutal, brutal KOs. I think at least twice. I'm trying to think if it's two or three times. But um, and then Melvin Manhoof. Ooh. And he was soccer kicking him because you could soccer kick and pride and stomp. Yeah, he, he had some really tough fights. He's apparently doing a grappling super fight now. I think he's grappling. He, he grappled Henzo. Yeah. In Metamorphs. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I was thinking of, uh, you know what, I was actually thinking of Shinya Aoki. He's going to grapple with Gary Tonin. Oh, that'll be yeah. good. Yeah, they're going to have Gary, a straight Gary up grappling. Yeah, Gary's going to fuck him up, most likely. But Aoki's good, man. <laughs> yeah, Especially for sure. now, Aoki. For sure. But it's a big difference between guys who are good in MMA and guys who are good at yeah. like straight up grappling. Yeah. And, and the training vids of Gary. He's oh, yeah. just like, he's just training. All, all, all he does, he's completely obsessed with jujitsu. I love it. Yeah. And he's doing rope climbs. And he's just that's all he does. Well, so he's also uh, being coached by John Donaher yeah. and he's a part of that Henzo Gracie crew in yeah. New York City yeah. and that Donaher death squad man You want to talk about a, a, <laughs> a real like wizard of jujitsu Donaher understand his Instagram posts are some of the very best Instagram posts in, uh, on the internet I even I got to follow him then. Oh, you got to man his breakdowns of certain techniques and matches and what went well and What went wrong and what's required of athletes and and how to excel and the difference between an athlete in competition versus a difference in training. That's one of his most recent things about putting yourself in bad positions and working on your weaknesses as opposed to just continuing to push your strengths. Yeah. Well, that's a big one. The, the, tr the fighters that are good in training, but they're not good at, in their cage. And there's other fighters that are yeah. they kind of get beat up in training, but then when they get in the cage, they, they rise to the occasion. Yeah. And you can, I, mean, I got to see that a bunch with a bunch of different fighters over the years that I trained with. And you'd say, ah, this guy's going to do okay. But then they'd get in the, they'd get in the cage and boom, they would just turn it on. They elevate themselves and then some guys that are crushing everyone during training they get in the cage and you know ufc fight night or whatever mm -hmm. and they just they just can't they can't get it done that night even though they're crushing people in the training yeah there's so many factors right and i think some of them are also the ability to overcome adversity and with really talented guys they didn't really have to overcome that much adversity because they were good really quickly like guys who had massive physical advantages yeah and then for some reason, you know, once they faced other people that also have physical advantages but were tougher, they would just go, they just fall apart. They yeah. just wilt. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's so common. Yeah, you got to get that. And, and, man, we got some guys at the gym, this guy at the gym right now who's just, he's just a, a, he's a mutant. He's a mutant. Like, he's so strong. He, I, what was it? He shot on me the other day. I sprawled on him. And so he's on all fours. And he's a, he fights at 185. I'm on all fours. And he picks me up with one hand, with one hand, picks me up and slams me and gets across side. And I said, bro, did you just like shot put me right there? <laughs> and, <laughs> and he's uh, 185. What's he walk around at? He walks around at 200, 205. You know, typical. And he picked you up fighter. with one hand? One hand, but not with his back, but like with his arm. You're gonna see him, Taylor Johnson. Watch out for him. He's, what is his background? He wrestled. He wrestled. He's. A, but this is the thing. We know. We know this, right? There's wrestlers that are great wrestlers, and they're, and they're okay at jujitsu, but they can't quite make that transition. And their striking's okay, but they can't quite make that transition. For whatever reason, whatever gift he's got, he. It. So the other day we were training, and he's been training. This was uh, a few months ago. He's been training for like six months, right? And he dives for a Kimura on me. And I, you know, I move and get out and, you know, we keep training, whatever. And we get done. He goes, man, you know, I just, 
I can't lock anything up on you. I just can't, I, I, can't, I can't get any finishes on you. And I was like, bro, <laughs> you've been training for six months. There's guys who've been training here for 10 years that have never even attempted a submission on me. And you're trying to submit me with my own move, the Kimura. Yeah. I'm like, bro, don't worry about it. It's going to come. So yeah, it's it. But my point is with him is he's an incredible athlete and he's got that work ethic too. Yeah. And so, and he's competed at a high level in wrestling. You know, he's an all American wrestler. I think D two though, but you know, nonetheless, he's savage. Yeah, people. There's the, the ability to compete. It's a it's an interesting ability. Like some people just don't have it, or they or the, it's not even that they don't have it. They lack the mental skills to overcome pressure filled obstacles. Yeah, and you're right. And there's some people that step up when that happens. Yeah, and can you train to do that? I think you can. I think you can. I think you I get think you used can. to it. You inoculate yourself to the stress. It's just the mind. So, like, you, like the idea that these pitfalls in the mind are insurmountable, I think that's ridiculous. That seems to be more surmountable or more, um, more, uh, more passable than physical problems. Because, like, physical problems, like, if you're 140 pounds and a guy's 240 pounds, if you're both equally talented and both equally driven, boy, you're fucked. Yeah. You're kind of fucked. Yeah. Well, uh, that being said, it is similar to what we talked about earlier, which is when you have somebody that's caught in their own mind, they can't get the perspective to step out and yeah. be like, dude, just calm down. Just, right, it's, right, there's right. nothing to freak out about. Yeah. You're going to go in there. What if I lose? It's, if you lose, it's no big deal. We'll get around it. We'll train more. It's no big deal. They, they can't get over that. And so you do get people that get trapped in their minds. And I mean, there's all kinds of fighters that have gone through that and never came out of it. Well, there's know? a really important quote. If you win, you win. If you lose, you learn. Yeah. And so you always win. And if you really can think about it that way, every time, you know, I remember pretty much every time I've ever been humiliated on the mat, every time I've ever been like really manhandled and tapped, I remember them very well. And I also remember like every time I rolled with like a real high level black belt and got my ass handed to me, my training jumped up a notch. Because like, uh, you know, it's that expression, the rub, like you train with someone who's way better and you yeah. go, you realize like, oh, there's a, I'm, whatever I thought was like a high frequency, there's people that are operating like several hundred RPMs faster than that. Yep. And I just hadn't encountered them, yep. you know, and I think that to be around that is so important. If you, you ever train with a guy that like trains in a small town and uh, all the people in the town is like maybe like uh, purple belt yeah. coaches and they, they have like a, there's a, a certain RPM that they all yeah. operate in. And if you come in and you're used to that fucking San Diego assassin <laughs> RPM and they like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Like they're just not used to it. They yeah. have, or, but if you come from a place like that and you try to train at Henzo's or something like that, like you're dealing, you're jumping into a, a fucking pit of killers like and that's you know that old expression iron sharpens iron yep. could not be more true when it comes to jiu-jitsu yeah no there's no doubt the better people you train with the better you're gonna get and you got to seek those people out you know yeah you got to not mind hey that guy taylor that i'm talking about do do i like getting my ass kicked by a guy that's been training for six months no i hate it <laughs> i hate it taylor but guess what i call him out every time you yeah. know and i talk smack to him i don't talk a bunch of smack but i talk smack <laughs> to him i'm like hey what's up young buck you want to come get some of this every day because i want to train with him because he's that strong and yeah. i mean of course i'm training with dean i'm training with jeffy glover i train with those guys too but you, yeah. know, you got the young buck that wants to get after it a little bit more yeah well also there's something about freak wrestling strength that's just it doesn't make any sense. Like I've, I've rolled with some wrestlers before. I'm like, okay, whatever you are, 
There's 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 people, and then like there's like chimp people. You're like a chimp person, you know. Like they have like when your body is used to from the time you're an early kid throwing bodies around, like your tendon strength and your your ability to manipulate bodies is a very different kind of strength. I mean, it might not translate to a forty yard dash or yeah. or sprints or you know lifting weights, but there's a, the physical ability to move bodies is very unusual. Yeah, and there. The, you always have to be careful too, because there's been plenty of wrestlers along the way that don't do well in MMA. Oh yeah, they, for they, sure. They just—they're great, they're strong, but I think that's a mental thing. I think they have like some limited factor in their brain where they go—they just can't quite open their mind to jujitsu. They can't quite open their mind to striking. They can't get out of that wrestler mentality of you know this. I have to go as hard as I can right now because in mm-hmm. MMA you can't go as hard as you can right, right now for the whole time. You will run out of gas, especially with striking. If you're if you're boxing and sparring with people and you think you're just going to go in and do that. You're going to run into somebody who actually knows how to box, and you're going to come home with headaches every night, and you're going to get very discouraged. Yeah. It's yeah. a matter of who you're training with, too, like as far as your trainers, like who's, who's coaching you and what methodology are they using and what, what mindset are they trying to impart on you as far as like skill development. Because there's so many people out there that just don't have like a real clear philosophy. Like they don't have a goal, like in terms of like, I want to work on footwork and avoiding certain shots and being able to move in better. You know, instead, they're just trying to win every round or they're trying to, you know, push hard. And then do you not get to the next level? which in my mind, when we get past the athleticism, we get past the mental overcoming of challenges. And then in my opinion, you get to the next level, which is creativity. Yeah. And that's when you get to McGregor, right? Johnny Bones Jones. They're, they're doing things that they're kind of making up. Yeah. And they're making them up live as they go. And I think that to me is, is, you know, we kind of, I think we saw it with BJ Penn back in the day. He was creative. I think Fedor did it where he was, he was doing creative things. But I think to me, that's, that's where you go. That one level higher is when you add the creative element to a guy that can take A and B and make F out of those things somehow. Yeah. And, and when you watch those guys, there's something about watching a John Jones or a Fedor or a primetime BJ Penn. It elevates you. <laughs> you watch someone do something special like that, and you just walk out of there. You feel like, I know I can run faster than I could before <laughs> I saw that fight. I know I could I could lift more weights. I know I could do something better. Just people. I think this is a huge thing. That One of the reasons why people enjoy watching all kinds of sports, but in particular combat sports, when people do something amazing, it makes you feel like amazing things are possible. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I have limitations on that too, because personally, I'll watch somebody, you know, some random fighter or whatever, and I'll say, I could, I could probably do that. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, 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 I could do that. Well, that right. guy's a good fighter, but I could, yeah, I'm good at jiu-jitsu. I'm a pretty good striker. I could, I could do that. And then occasionally I see a guy and I go, no, you know what? I could not do what that guy can do. And yeah. It just makes me. It it it's it's humbling. Yeah. I think it's humbling. I was watching, you know, Jack Black, right? The sure. Jack Black. I was watching Jack Black the other day, and you know, I look at Jack Black. I look at some. I look at some actor, right? I look at Brad Pitt, and I go, what's what's Brad Pitt doing? I could do what he's doing. He's talking on the movie screen, whatever. I know I'm underestimating this, right? But that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, I, right. you know, I could do that. But I was I was watching Jack Black, and Jack Black was singing, 
And I was like, I can't do what Jack Black's doing right there. Respect and props to Jack Black. <laughs> he, the homeboy's got pipes, right? right? Yeah. He's got pipes. And I look at the same time, I look at, you know, at Johnny Bones Jones, and I go, I wouldn't have done what he just did. I look at G, at, at McGregor, and I go, you know what? He's got, he's got some little spark that I don't have. He's got a flair. Yeah. Yeah, there's a flair that McGregor has that's half of what he does. I mean, he's unbelievably talented. He's got ridiculous power. But there's also this flair about him when he fucking walks in there <laughs> flinging his arms. And then he stands there in front of his opponent and goes like that. There's something about him. Yeah. The, the fucking audaciousness yeah. of his, you know, he's just so ridiculous. But it his, really impressed me when he came back. And beat Nate. That oh, fuck yeah. Really imp- and I thought it was a very close fight. I, th- I actually, and I'll have to watch it again. I, only, I usually don't watch fights more than once, but I know it was very, very close. Nate could have won that fight. Yeah, it I, I, I thought Nate could have won Nate. it. Yeah, I thought so too, but it didn't. And even just as close as it was, I was impressed. And that was, I think, one of the most impressive feats I've seen as far as that mental game we're talking about. Yeah. To come back and say, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna do it this time that he even wanted to come back. Yeah, you know? at 170 again mm-hmm. That was at 170 right yeah. the second yeah. fight was yes, too. It was yes, impressive. It was. it was very impressive You know a lot of people don't know that he had a pretty bad staph infection just a few weeks before the first fight And he was on some serious antibiotics uh, and that's one of the reasons why he was so drained like people are like oh he gassed out like if you've never taken antibiotics before, you don't know how yeah. fucking horrible it is on your gas tank. It's one of the, it's the weirdest thing ever. So like you could be in great shape. You get on a, a run of antibiotics and your body's just, you got a fucking thimble gas tank. There's nothing left. You got no energy. Yeah. For whatever reason, you just can't push yourself through stuff. And I think that played a factor in that fight. And here's the thing about McGregor. You never heard a fucking peep about it. Yeah. And if it wasn't for me talking about it, most people wouldn't even know. Yeah. That, yeah, he's a bad motherfucker. And I don't know, I don't. I mean, they said he signed the Floyd Mayweather deal. Oh, they, really? Yep, he signed. When did that happen? It happened yesterday. No he, he has signed. Floyd Mayweather has not uh, signed. They're negotiating the Floyd Mayweather. Boxing? Yep, pure boxing. Oof. Yeah, that's what I think. <laughs> I'm like, people, look, I mean, maybe he's going to go full Bernard Hopkins, just fucking clinch and hit him in the clinch <laughs> and tie him up and rough him up, and, and maybe that's the plan. Lean on his neck. You know, just put, fight dirty. Let him yeah. take points away. Who gives a shit? As long as you don't get disqualified. Don't, like, stand in the middle of the ring and try to fucking no. chuck and jive with him. But no. the other thing is, Floyd's not knocking a lot of people out. Yeah. yeah. You know? It's a good fight in terms of, like, to <sighs> see what the fuck insane. happens. Yeah. How much money is that going to make? He's going to make a fuck ton of money. He's going to make some, he estimated, I don't know if it's true, between 75 and $100 million. Good on him. <laughs> yeah. Good on and him. And then who knows how much Floyd's going to make. Somewhere in that range, too. Maybe more, probably more. But I think that it's going to be interesting. First of all, Floyd's 40, almost 41. Floyd's maybe the best defensive boxer that's ever walked the face of the planet. I mean, he's right up there. In my, I mean, you, you go back to Willie Pep and a lot of the guys from the old days and for sure Lomachenko today. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like overall performance against elite fighters yeah. over the course of his career. The guy's only been tagged hard like five or six times ever. Yeah. He's a fucking freak. And hard work, I mean, he, he's a, you look at him, he's throwing money around, driving Bentleys, but that fucking guy will yeah. get on the strip and he'll be running miles at 3 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. He opens up his gym at 3 o'clock in the morning just does 15 rounds in the bag. Just, he works hard. Yep. I mean, I don't know if he works that hard anymore. Yeah. That'll be an interesting one. Fuck yeah. I'll I, watch it. I, I hope it goes down. Look, he, he might get his, <clears throat> Connor might get his ass handed to him, but he might not. 
Yeah. You know, he might tag Floyd. I mean, if he can, Connor is very good at closing distance and snapping off like lead shots. Like, that's one of the things that he did with Nate. And he's a southpaw. If he can just snap off one or two clean shots and make it interesting, it'll be fun. I don't know if he can. Yeah. I don't I don't know what he can do in straight boxing. Yeah, it's so hard to judge. Come on. To man. judge without without knowing, without seeing. And if they do do it, I think they're going to do it somewhere around September. I think that's the idea. Dang. Jesus Christ. So what's he doing with the UFC until then? Nothing? Nothing. nothing. So the lightweight division is on hostage uh, right now. <laughs> they're being held hostage. <laughs> is it like interim something or whatever? Well, they were supposed to do that, but fucking Habib Nurmagomedov got sick trying to make the weight and didn't make the weight. What happened there? Tony Ferguson and Habib were supposed to fight, and Habib's liver shut down. <sighs> yeah, he's cutting too much weight. These guys, they get too fucking big. You know, they get up to 190, and they try to get down to 155, and he couldn't make it. Was he walking around at 190? I don't know. That's what I heard. I don't know what he really weighed, but he's a bad motherfucker. Yeah, for sure. Habib's grappling is so super high level. I want to. I wanted to see that fight so bad because yeah. Tony Ferguson is a fucking savage. Yeah. He's a straight <laughs> savage. So him versus Habib, like I watched that fight with him and Edson Barboza again the other day. Yeah. Crazy fucking wild bloodbath until Tony caught him with the Dars. Yeah. It was a fucking amazing fight. Like that's the guy I want to see fight a guy who's one of the only guys undefeated at the top level of the game, which mm -hmm. is Habib. He's yeah. the only guy that's like a top contender that's undefeated and has smashed everybody in front of him. How much longer until he can fight again? Who knows if he'll ever be able to make 155 again? <sighs> who knows? Who knows what kind of damage he's done to his body in these rapid, rapid, horrible weight cuts? I don't know, man. I don't. I don't know his medical history, his medical history or his medical yeah, issues, but I know yeah. before the Michael Johnson fight, apparently he had a similar problem. He made the weight, yeah. but apparently it was real touch and go. Yeah. Can't do that. No, you got to cut your calories <laughs> Can't back. Can't do that. Cut, I mean, you, you want to suffer? Cut your calories back. Do a lot of fucking running. Drop some body weight. You're yeah. going to have to, and it yeah. can be done. It can be done. You ha you're going to have to do it because it's rapid dehydration. You're going to fucking die. Yeah. Someone's going to die. I mean, the UFC's just passed some new weight cutting rules and new weight classes yeah. too. Yeah, like this is from Andy Foster. Andy Foster is the guy who runs California State Athletic Commission, and he is such a fucking animal. Andy Foster is one of the most important guys in terms of like commission. The guys who run commissions in MMA, he's like one of the most proactive, one of the most knowledgeable, and one of the very best, maybe the best. He's so on the ball, and so he's pushed hard for these new weight classes mm -hmm. and these new um, weight cutting regulations, and such a fucking smart thing. Yeah. That guy's that guy's awesome, man. I like the 225 fan. weight class yeah. and even the 195 weight class. Is they should good. do 10. They should st skip 70 and do 10 every, every, you know, like do 25, 35, 45, 55, 65. Just yeah. go 10 every. 10 is good. Yeah. 10 makes sense. Yeah. When you got like 70 and then you got 85 and then you get 85 and 205, that's too many. That's too many pounds. What was, uh, I mean, GSP versus, what were they going to do? GSP versus Bisping? Bisping? Yeah. You've, you've, I've tried to explain this to people because I've been in the room and stood next to those guys. Bisping is a big, big, big man. Yes. He's, he's and a big GSP dude. is a normal sized guy. I don't see how that fight was going to be uh, fair. You well, know? also, Bisping is currently active. GSP took years off. Bisping is capable of fighting at 55, he says. Bisping said he could make 55. Wow. Yeah, so if he wins at 180, 
185, he has thought about fighting either at 170 or at 155. Like, what the fuck? He's a big dude. Strong. I've trained with him. He's a big, strong... He's what? 6'2"? Something like that? Bisping? Yeah. Yeah. He's tall. Yeah. He's big. He's, He's got big fucking boy. incredible cardio, Yeah, too. for sure. He's a hard worker. Yeah. Yeah, that guy is a perfect example of just like the ultimate like bulldog mindset and just refusing and now look at him he's the champ yeah yeah and he took that fight on what a week's notice two weeks notice against rockhold to win the championship yeah, not even that i think it was a few days i think it was like 11 days notice or something What's crazy doing now? just being pissed oh, talking shit man. to dana white on twitter because <laughs> he was mad that gsp got a title shot and he hasn't earned a title shot yet he's like what the fuck did gsp do Damn. and Oh man, the whole the whole weight class is in a flux. And there's a funny meme of because uh, uh, Bisping said that his his knees hurt because they said that the UFC said they want him to fight Yoel Romero because the GSP fight is off. Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, actually, my knees hurt, so uh, I can wait for GSP. <laughs> so he's like, I can't really train right now. I'm good. I'm just gonna sit back and take a little break. So there's a there's a funny meme of GSP or of uh, Michael Bisping in the hospital bed. That says Bisping be like, I'll just sit here and wait for GSP. <laughs> oh, that's harsh, yeah. man. Yol's a savage. He's terrifying. But that really bummed me out when Tim Kennedy lost to him. Well, that, that was cheating. Yeah, that shouldn't have happened. It was cheating. And that that was horrible. Tim did a little bit of cheating in that fight, too. What did he do? He grabbed his gloves. Oh. He's grabbed the inside of his glove and punched him in the face a couple times while he's holding Yoel's glove. Oh. But, dude, but people show that in slow motion. But what they don't understand is you're showing slow motion. Like, it looks like he's holding onto it for a Forever. while and punching. In real life, it was less than a second or maybe a second. And but, it's probably just chaos. Yeah. And he's grabbing hold of something. Just, uh, just throwing shit, whether or not he actually knew that he had his glove consciously. The gloves make a really big difference ah, huge. in grappling. Yeah, and, huge. Uh, you got to train with them if you're going to fight with them. You know? well, securing chokes. I mean, even Damian Maya, you see him get rear naked chokes with the hand on top of the head, like old school Ken Shamrock style. Yeah. Like he'll, he'll, because he can't get the hand back yeah. there. He just can't get it. Yeah. And you, you, people start grabbing. If you get a guillotine mm -hmm. and people are grabbing the inside of that glove, it's hard. It's a lot harder to finish yeah. stuff when people have gloves on well some people finish with it josh thompson used to grab his own glove uh, mm -hmm. which you can do <laughs> you can get deep in there i saw him choke somebody out with that i was like "Ooh, you can do that i think you can grab your own glove yeah and you, that makes a nice handle if you, you can slip your fingers you have in there. to train with them if you're gonna fight with them you yeah have to. oh it's amazing how hard it is to choke people when you have those especially those pride gloves the oh, big padded yeah. ones mm-hmm even Marcelo Garcia was having a really hard time with it when he had his one lone MMA fight. Yeah. I mean, he had this dude's back and he couldn't finish him. And a lot of it is because of those, those yeah, extra they, pads. Yeah, they make a big difference. They really do. I don't think you should wear gloves. I really don't. I totally agree with you. I think fighting, if you could kick somebody in the shin to the face, <laughs> like you can shin somebody in the face, but you can't knuckle them in the yeah, face. Yeah, no, I think it would be so helpful for all the head trauma that's happening if they took off the gloves and, oh, you, yeah. and you had to either strike with an open palm or you had to pay the price because I might hit you twice before I broke my hand and now I'm going to be grappling with you and trying to take you down. I don't think people understand that, that if someone just ducks their head down and you hit them with a straight punch to the forehead, you are very likely to break your hand. I don't think you should be able to wrap your hands either. Yeah. I really don't. That would be awesome. That I would think be you awesome. Should have, I think you should have a cup on and a mouthpiece and shorts. Yep. And I really think that's it. Yep. I mean, and people are like, oh, you're a fucking idiot. You're a barbarian. They need to cover the glove. No, they no, don't. You're, no. You're less of a barbarian. You, you, make yourself, you make yourself more able to hit someone, and you don't really help them at all. Like, it's harder to hit someone bare knuckle. 
Yeah, like it's it's more realistic. Yeah, it's it's it's. Uh, it, it, I wish they would make that change. Yeah. I wish that would change everything. How that come you make... can elbow somebody, but you can't bare knuckle them? That's crazy. It, Your knuckles are way more vulnerable. Yeah, like it's way harder to to get that off it, until you wrap it up. Then you make it like a cast. You wrap it up and you get some, you know, like a nice stiff wrist oh, wrap man. where your wrist, wrist isn't going anywhere. It's you have to wear buckling and flexing when you punch someone. It's hardcore when they wrap up those hands, boy. Like even like holding pads for guys when we're yeah. backstage getting ready. Like they're, they just turn it up. Yeah. Yeah. But they'll never make that change. I don't say, I don't think. And I think they bad. should. And I think for really for the head trauma of the people that are fighting is that that's who really needs it. You, for sure. Hit in the head all those times. And yeah. it, it's not good for you. No, it's not good for you. And um, again, that goes back to the grappling thing. I think we see more submissions. I think it would be way easier to catch people with stuff. Like it'd be way easier to secure guillotines and chokes. It's just you, you, you wouldn't have all these restrictions of having something on your hands. Your yeah. hands need to be able to articulate and move to secure certain grips and you get, it's, you'd see a lot more submissions, I think. Yeah, it's too bad they don't make that change. It'd be better for everyone. Yeah, I mean, I remember when I first started working for the UFC, you didn't have to wear gloves. Vitor was one of the first guys to wear them. Vitor and Tank. Mm-hmm. Tank was one of the first guys ever to wear gloves. And he wore those gloves that he was wearing were like old school century martial yeah. arts Chuck Norris gloves. <laughs> like nobody had even thought to wear those. I think Tank was like the innovator. Yeah, Tank was an innovator for yeah. sure. Then Vitor innovated his head. Yeah. Pop, 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 pop. Yeah, man. Vitor in the early days. I was there. His first fight in 1997. The first time at UFC 12. Mm-hmm. Nobody had seen anything like that. Yeah. This guy comes in with his blazing hand speed, built like a fucking Greek god, <laughs> and everybody's like, "Oh Jesus, what do you do with this fucking kid?" Yeah, yeah. That was that was interesting and. Of course, we all heard because I was, you know, a jiu-jitsu guy at that time. We were like, oh, he's only a purple belt is what we were hearing. And they right. gave him his black belt just because he's doing this fight and blah, blah, blah. He's yeah. only a purple belt. And he comes out and just, what is it, 13 punches to the face. Bop, bop, bop. And then he did the same thing to Vandalay. Bop, 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 bop. Yeah. Straight punches down the pipe. Crazy. Yeah, when he fought Vandalay, he was wearing shoes. Yep. Remember that? Yep. He was wearing, like, wrestling yep. shoes. There was all these wacky rules back then. <laughs> It's really interesting to see, like, from 1993 to 2017, how far fighting has changed and how much we know about it now. Yeah. I always say that fighting in 1992 was theoretical. And, and we, you know, some, somebody will say something to me on the internet, like, Hey, you know, what about this martial art or whatever? And I'm like, what you, what do you think of this? And I'm like, there's no reason to theorize. Like, not only do we know from the UFC. We also have been now a country at war for whatever, 15 years. So all of our guys have been going overseas and doing the same stuff in combat. So we know what works. There's no, there's no big question anymore. Right. It's not like, oh, I wonder what happens if you poke a guy in the eye. No, we know what happens. We know what happens. Yeah, it's pretty obvious. It's not good. Here's another thing, like like Wing Chun and things like that. Like, yeah, that'll work. If you've, the guy doesn't know what the fuck he's doing and you chain punch him, that'll, yeah. They'll, they'll, yeah. it's not good. Hit somebody 17 times in the head yeah. when they're not expecting that they've never trained before. Yeah. Definitely not good. Very but effective. Are you going to get that off on someone who actually knows what they're doing? Yeah. Mm, I don't know, man. You're going to get that off on a high school wrestler? Good luck. <laughs> going to hit a double leg. Most like you're going flying. Put your head on the curb. Yeah. yeah it, just, it just seems to me that, like, did you see that video that is becoming a huge, issue in China 
um, yes. that a Chinese Tai Chi master tried yep. to fight an MMA fighter and yep. just got obliterated yep. in 10 seconds. Yep. And this guy's had to hide. This Chinese yeah. MMA fighter has had to go into hiding because people are offended that he battered this Tai Chi master and made their country look bad. Yeah. Because it's making their, their traditional martial art look ineffective. Yeah, that's not... Uh that doesn't make sense to me. I don't know. Here, we can watch this real quick. But I don't know why the fuck this guy didn't understand what was going to happen when the, they fought. Th they sometimes, I think they actually believe what they're saying. This is so brutal, though. This Tai Chi guy. What's really bizarre is Tai Chi's not really a, a physical fighting no. martial art. It's supposed to be something that's more of like a meditative It's movement. like yoga. Yeah. yeah, it's like a yoga deal. It's supposed to be great for uh, I had one of my one of my buddies, uh, black belt. A guy named Jeff Higgs, old school jujitsu guy, and he got told by a Tai Chi guy, you know, you can't take me down. Oh God! And my buddy, see that? Yeah. I mean, that guy just got obliterated. Yeah. And the only way you can ever actually know what would happen if someone punches you in the face is to train that way. Mm -hmm. If you just have these ideas in your head that you're going to stand in front of them, this guy just oozing blood all over the place, and he's getting up, he's battered. His nose is shattered. He's wobbly. I guess it's probably first time he's ever been punched. Maybe the MMA guy should have, if he had a little bit more foresight on what was going to happen, he should have come out and like really done the whole, you know, respect and then the bow and then all this stuff and then after he defeated him, should have helped him. He, if he maybe that would have helped him from a from a political standpoint. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, because I wonder. Yeah, but you know, it seems to me that this is something that they need to see. They really do, because there's too many people out there that are just buying into this foolish shit. Well, like I said, so my buddy Jeff Higgs got this, uh, this, I think it was an Aikido guy. Does Aikido people say chi and all that? I don't know. Like have chi? They probably do. Well, it depends on which asshole you're it, talking to. Whether, whether it was Aikido or whether it was uh, Tai Chi, I forget. Mm -hmm. But the guy says, you know, hey, I'm a martial artist, and once I settle my chi... You, you can't even take me down. So how are you going to do jiu-jitsu on me? And he says, well, what do you mean you can settle your chi? He says, you know, I, once I center my chi and it's based into the ground, you won't be able to move me. You can try mm. it if you want. And my friend Higgs goes, uh, okay, cool. Tell me when your chi's all centered. And the guy, you know, does his little thing and then settles his chi and he says, okay, I'm ready. And oh. Jeff just did, I mean, it's no big deal. Just hit a double leg on him. Boom. You know, like you can't stop a double leg without defending it, without spawn. And yeah, so, so what again, did he say? the guy actually believed that, right? Yeah. The guy actually believed that. That's so, like a type of mental illness. It is, but I mean, you know, it's flat earth, right? It's the same. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to bring that up right now. But it it's, comes up so often yeah, on these podcasts. Yeah. I've got a couple people that are, you know, now every time I talk about jujitsu at all, they're like flat earth, flat earth. They right? believe it. Yeah. Yeah, people believe it. I get fucking shit every day from people that are flat earth supporters <laughs> that are mad at me for exposing. They just want to believe it. That's real. It, it, it is a, a weird thing. With, and by the way, one of the main guys who's into Flat Earth makes has a whole video about how jiu-jitsu doesn't work. And it's about Wing Chun. Isn't it like one of his biggest videos on his page? Yeah. yeah. Hilarious. But th there is something about people <laughs> wanting to believe that there's mysteries and secrets, that there's like some secret power. Yeah. 
Like, and that, you know, the idea that you could just center yourself and a, a college wrestler can't take you down. Yeah. That's one of my new things that I tell people with jujitsu. Cause I, I used to say like jujitsu is magic cause, cause it kind of is, you know, when you know jujitsu, you can do things that are almost magic. Right. But then when you're teaching somebody for the first time, I'm always like, look, it's, it's not magic. It's, you know, I, I was showing somebody the other day, a you know, elbow escape or something from the mount. And the guy's like, hey, you know, he's, he's, it's really hard to do cause he keeps pulling my arm away. You know, and I was like, yeah, it's a fight you're in. Yeah, it's not magic. It's you have to fight against the other person. It's another human. I just told him what to do and I told you what to do. Now you got to fight for it. Yeah, you got to figure out how to get to the right position. <laughs> yeah, it's not magic, but it is weird that people that, you know, they're they're looking for something to believe in, I guess. Yeah, and maybe they just want a contrarian viewpoint. So that's why they pick saying that the earth is flat. Well, I, th I also think it's it's sort of the same thing with people wanting shortcuts. I can't believe I'm going down this road right now. <laughs> I just want to walk away. <laughs> the end of podcast. I'm out. <laughs> people love shortcuts. They love like sh like they love like throwing out uh, the the entire paradigm of modern civilization. It's all based on a lie. We're not on a globe. We're on a flat disk. The universe spins around us. Like oh, is this maybe boy. you know you know people that just like to argue? Is this maybe just people that like to? argue and have a contrary that could be point. some of them for sure that could be some of them for some of them i think it's just that so they, is there people that straight up just straight up believe that the earth is 100 100 percent in their definitely. soul in oh, their yeah. soul yeah 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 they really <laughs> believe it but there's also people that join the moonies you know there's people yeah. that join scientology Oof. yeah i mean look there's people out there that'll suck a dick if they think it'll make them live forever they say you sure i suck your dick i'm gonna live forever yeah. yes the knowledge will flow through you but you have to believe like, yeah well <laughs> down in san diego i don't know what it was 10 years ago 15 years ago they had that heaven's gate thing where all those yeah. people put on those purple shoes they and, put on and, the purple nikes <laughs> yeah they killed themselves when the comet was flying by yeah and, and it shows you again you know now we're you know, you're talking about the human mind is just so complicated and complex that it's grasping for something to believe in and some people aren't going to believe in anything. Yeah. Well, you know, it's one of the things that Guy Ritchie brought up the other day about your book, Extreme Ownership, and it's one thing that I think you and I are, are both really uh, focused on is the way the brain works and the way the mind works. And this is one of the things that I think that you reinforce with these big photos of your watch every day. <laughs> It's like the mind works in very peculiar ways and you can and it's kind of pliable and you could force it into positive productive ways. You can you can you can express yourself in these very positive productive ways and and and, and carve those grooves yeah. of productivity and of advancement. Well, it's what you're talking about. It, we just talked about the Moonies and the Scientology where people are trying to do mind control. And when I talk about mind control, I'm talking about control your own mind. Yeah. You know, you can make yourself exactly what you're just saying. You can make yourself and force yourself to do things. And once you get in that groove and get in that habit, it becomes part of you and that becomes who you are. And yeah. why not be that person than the other person that's not doing positive things? Yeah, but people like people like to also pretend that the way they're doing it is the right way. They don't want to be open to the idea that there's some other method that's maybe more productive or more successful. Well, there's the downfall. I mean, yeah. and that's, that. you know, again, and I, I think this is one of the reasons why your show is so popular and why 
people listen to you because you, you, you listen to other people, right? People listen to you because you listen to other people. You listen to what they have to say. You go, okay, that's an interesting viewpoint. I hadn't heard that before. And you, I'm the same way. When somebody tells me, hey, this is what I believe, I don't say, well, I don't believe that. I believe something else. I go, that's interesting. That's yeah. an interesting viewpoint. Yeah, I always want to try to see things from other people's perspective. And it's hard because the brain wants to go, fuck this guy. <laughs> this guy's no shit. You, you're, you're right, dude. This guy's wrong. But you, you always got to like pause and think. I mean, again, I hate to bring this back up, but that could easily be what's also going on with the flat earth thing. Because they have this idea in their head and then someone's, you know, there's no photos of the earth other than composites. If there really was a, a round earth, you'd be able to see a whole, and they go, oh, actually there's a photo taken every 10 minutes from 22,000 miles away of the full earth. Well, oh, oh, that's not true. Yeah. Well, that's fake. And they get into this thing and they get into this thing because they don't want to ever stop and pause and look at the way they're thinking versus the way other people are thinking. Go, okay, did I get myself in a fucking in a trap here? Did I get myself into an intellectual trap where I'm supporting an idea that's not true and now I'm reinforcing that in my head and I'm fucking I'm tightening up all my, my borders and trying to figure out a way to not let new ideas in and to, yeah. to reinforce my old ideas? You know, your podcast with Jordan Peterson the other day, he kind of brought that up, which I th- yeah. by the way, if anyone hasn't listened to that podcast, that's that's got to be one of the best podcasts that I've ever heard. He's it's a mind blower. Lower. Unbelievable podcast and he's talking about the, the fact that sometimes people if they if they accept those new ideas All of a sudden what they've done with their life for the past 20 years gets thrown out the window Yeah, and that's got to be really hard and immediately when I was listening to that I was thinking to myself Yeah, that's that's what happened in the 90s when somebody that had been studying some traditional martial art God bless them. They were doing the best they could but when all of a sudden some blue belt in jiu-jitsu could come in there and roll them up and choke them out and there was nothing they could do about it and they either had to do one of two things say okay i'm going to start training this other new thing that i don't understand or block it out which was very hard to do with jiu-jitsu i mean that's the good thing about mma and about ufc is it was like uh, you can deny it all you want but you have to face this guy on the mat that's the only yeah. way you can and when you do that you're going to lose whereas with all these kind of intellectual arguments a lot of times it's just I say you say I say you say and if you tell me you know if I'm telling you that every picture of the earth is whatever CGI and that's what I'm gonna hold and I'm not gonna let it go and how are you gonna prove to me otherwise and every single picture you show me I say no that's CGI and you show me another picture and I say no that's CGI we're never gonna get anywhere yeah I'm not arguing with you about it you're never gonna tap <laughs> you're just gonna you're just gonna turtle up in a ball I, I had to go through three of those man I because I started out with Taekwondo which was it's not like the it's not a good martial art for fighting it's got uh, by itself it's mm-hmm. got too many holes in it yeah. but it's a great martial art for throwing kicks mm-hmm. and when I went from that to kickboxing I realized how easy it was to get punched in the face and I was like wow and so then I started really studying boxing and I was like man my my ideas of like how well I can fight are so overestimated I, I, I'm not nearly as a, I'm a good at Taekwondo mm-hmm. I'm not good at fighting mm-hmm. and then I started doing Muay Thai and I'm like oh well fucking leg kicks <laughs> Jesus Christ leg kicks and knees to the body in the clinch <laughs> I was like oh fuck there's so much I can I'm so fucked yeah. you know because I got I got really good at something that kind of sucks on its own yeah 
and then from there, jujitsu, where right. I was just getting raped. I was like, at least with kickboxing, <laughs> I could throw kicks, I could move around, I could try not to get my legs kicked, I could try to like st be more mobile. Yep. But when I was going into jujitsu as a white belt, I was just getting fucking mauled. That's what happens. And then I had to accept it. And then so I, I literally stopped doing everything else. And yep. they said, oh, I've got to get better at this. There's well, no way it, I can. You can't even start like a white, but someone that's never trained jujitsu before. Is, is has a zero percent chance of beating a, a a guy that's a black belt. Yeah, zero. Like zero percent chance. They, they're not going to be able to do it. If you take somebody that doesn't really know how to fight against a boxer, there there is a puncher's chance. I mean, there's a puncher's chance. Not probably not going to happen. But it's a crazy chance. But it, who knows? It, it, it could. And at least the, the the person that hasn't boxed before has some semblance of an idea. Of what to do right block the punches from hitting me and try and punch the other guy right when you don't know jujitsu You don't even understand what's happening. You're completely lost Yeah, and there's certain positions like if you get your back taken or something like that <laughs> where you're almost a hundred percent dead <laughs> Yeah, it's but I think that there's parallels to that in life Because if you look at life and you look at the way you're behaving and the way you're thinking and the way you choose to Accept ideas and the way that you choose to view the world if you're so rigid in your ideology that you're unwilling to accept any sort of new information and new data or any sort of contrary data or information like someone who's telling you something that you don't agree with but you, you're going okay well all right well what's your perspective instead of just agreeing or disagreeing, disagreeing with them and arguing and going to war with them try to take it in try to go okay well what is this guy saying that has merit where's this guy coming from or if I even if I totally disagree with them what what makes him think this yeah. like where what's going on in your head that you think that we should take everyone's money and distribute it equally across the country like there's people that believe that yeah that everyone who's ever been successful somehow or another got it through stealing mm -hmm. and then what we need to do is take all the money in the country and redistribute all this wealth so everybody gets fifty thousand dollars okay well, all right, why do you think this? Like, well, yeah, I want to know. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I might argue with it, or I might see your point, or I might think that if you did do this, but you still, if you did this right now, this is what I think. If you did this right now, if you took all the money from all the billionaires and all these fucking rich tycoons, all of them, and took all their money and distributed it equally amongst everybody in the country, how long would it take if you just allowed normal capitalism to flourish after that? How long would it take before the levels went right back to where they are? Yeah. Would it be 10 years? Would it be 20? How long would it, it take? It wouldn't be long. The way I explained that concept to my children was I said, okay, here's, here's what communism is, because this is what you're talking yeah. about. I said, let's, my kids are really hard workers and they do well in school. And I said, you know, you study hard for your test, right? Let's say you get a 90. 95 on your test and then what happens with communism is there's another kid in your class who's the dumbest kid billy okay billy's getting up whatever a 30 yeah. so what we're going to do is you're going to take the test and then we're going to take whatever points from you and give them to billy so that you both get a d and that's what we're going to do now that's what communism is now if i do that is that going to inspire you to work any harder the answer is obviously no. You're no. gonna get a you're gonna get a D no matter what. Is it gonna inspire Billy to work any harder? The answer is no. It is not. Billy's not gonna work any harder. So what we have is no one working. And that's what happens in communism. You're you're all just level set, you're all gonna get the same thing, and that's why it's failed everywhere it's tried. Yeah, it's not the right idea for just 
the way the human reward system works. It's not the right idea for motivation. It's not a right, right idea for, like, the only way things get done, the only way you get a laptop or a, a big skyscraper, someone has to profit from it. Yeah. They, they have to get something out of and it. And by the way, someone has to make that happen. Someone yeah. has to be driven to want to that laptop and right. to want that skyscraper. Somebody's got to want to make that. And you're right. For them to want it, there's got to be some reward. There's yeah, got to be some part reward. of being driven is you got to have something to show for it. So we got to be really careful that the amount of you know wealth that you spread around, if you spread it all around, you're going to end up with no one wanting to achieve anything. Yeah, like I hear Bernie Sanders talk, and he seems like a really nice guy, and he seems like he really has his mind in the right place and his heart in the right place, and this idea of democratic socialism. I see him talking to people, I'm like, well, that's definitely better than being greedy. It's definitely better than being cor corrupted by the banks. It's definitely better than being corrupted by Wall Street and giving these bullshit phony speeches for hundreds of thousands of dollars and fucking over people for profit. But... Does that shit, but does socialism really work? It doesn't seem to work. It doesn't seem to like work in terms of like no, human motivation. It, it doesn't even work for, for Bernie Sanders, who has multiple homes. You know, <laughs> he does. I mean, the guy's got multiple homes. He just bought a house for, you know, $800,000. And what, does he open that up to the public to come and stay in his house? No. No, of course not. So it, it, it's... Well, that's different. <laughs> We're talking about a different thing. <laughs> I've earned this money serving the people. Yeah, and exa exactly right. You did yeah. earn that money. And if you want to go out and buy that second home on a lake, do yeah. it. Good, good for you, Bernie. Yeah. But don't try and, you know, make it like that's... Like, like that's okay to take everyone else's money. They, they will do it to everybody else, but not to me. No, it doesn't work. Well, the me. concept of income inequality is always strange because it's like, well, okay. But you should you make the same amount of money for a job that doesn't have the same amount of importance no. and significance? No. I'll just, just go ahead and straight up answer for you. Yeah. That for you, just, no, yeah. you shouldn't. If if you got paid after 10 years of medical school, the same that you got paid to drive a bus after you busted your ass and worked hard and had to study and do all this stuff to go to medical school and by the way you built up a bunch of debt trying to go to school hey, why wouldn't you just become a bus driver well, no your pressure. motivation shouldn't be financial <laughs> your motivation should be helping people <laughs> yeah i don't you you, you, you got to be we we have to be careful of that and yeah. and of course uh, there are people that legitimately need help in the yes. world. There's people with with disabilities. There's people with mental problems, and we've got to be compassionate and take care of those people to the best of our ability. But we definitely need to watch out for hey, let's steal everything from the people that worked hard and give it to the people that didn't. Yeah, it just doesn't seem like a good idea. <laughs> it seems contrary to what we know about human motivation, basic human instincts. Yeah, and then where do you stop? Yeah, where where do you stop? Legitimately, like worldwide. Because we could distribute all the money and wealth that we've built in America and distribute it over the whole world. Well, I think a better concept is figuring out why there are pockets of extreme poverty and how to mitigate those pockets of poverty that have just, I mean, generation after generation in certain neighborhoods have just been extreme poverty. And these people that grow up there, that's what they know. They're sort of almost programmed into it because they're they are seeing it around them. That is the, the paradigm that they, they accept. And it's very self-limiting in a lot of ways. If you don't see anybody escape or you see very few people escape, it's very, you, you feel like, you know, resistance is futile. Like, what do you do? You know, there's a, there's a, and I wish I knew the, all the details of this, but there was a Native American tribe and somebody I'm sure will, will tell me what it is, but there was a Native American tribe like in Northern California that when all the Native American tribes got designated as Native American tribes and they got you know here's what you're gonna get and this is your tribe and this is these guys for whatever reason they didn't get it 
they didn't get designated as a Native American tribe. They just got they got passed over. No one noticed them. And now all the members of that tribe like completely dominate. They run everything financially. They own everything up there. They, they kind of kicked ass, right? And it's because they had to. And I think a lot of times when, when people just get given stuff, it becomes very, very difficult for them to say, you know what, I'm going to go out and work hard. You know, am I going to bust? You know, it's a classic example of, hey, am I going to bust my ass at McDonald's for eight bucks an hour? 40 hours a week or whatever 30 hours a week for nine bucks an hour I'm gonna work that hard doing that or am I just gonna take my welfare check which is equal to or almost equal to for sitting around and doing nothing yeah that's not a hard question to answer for many many people yeah I'm gonna sit around and do nothing so we had to be careful of that it's hard yeah it is hard it's it, it is a natural inclination that people have to do the least amount to, to just be as comfortable as possible or as lazy as possible you know, I think your your statement that you always say discipline equals freedom. People should have that shit tattooed on their thigh. <laughs> you know, you should look at that when you get up in the morning and put your underwear on. Like it's that shit is is so important because if you do have discipline and if you do go out there and get the things done that you need to get done, you have freedom and you feel better and you feel relaxed because you're not you don't have that balloon hovering <laughs> over you. That balloon of, you know, you know, just knowing that you're not doing your best, knowing that you're not out there hustling. And if you just get a free check every month and you don't really have to go out there and kick ass, you can kind of get by. Boy, that doesn't it's not it's not conducive to lighting that fire under your ass. That you need to be successful. Yeah. And again, I know I'm going to point this out for, I think, the second or third time today. I'm no sociologist. I don't I'm not some big guy that understands the mechanisms of the welfare state and all that. I'm just going off of what what I think, which is similar to what you're saying. Look, if I was just getting a check for not doing anything, I wouldn't feel good about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't feel good about it. And so I, I, I think that there are people that go, hey, if I can get free money, I'm going to take the free money. You know, there is a concept of universal basic income that's kind of interesting, though, because this idea is that once we get automation and once we get artificial intelligence, that there's going to be so many jobs that don't exist anymore that we got to figure out what to do with all these people. And the idea is if you just have your basic needs taken care of, like not enough so that you could actually thrive, but just where you have food and shelter, how many people would then pursue their actual love and what, what, what they're actually passionate about? And would it be the same? There's, there's tests they're doing. They're doing on it now. They're trying to find out, would the same amount of people be successful? Would more be successful or would less? Like how many people would pursue their dream if they knew they didn't have to worry about starving to death? If they just got money every month. They, got, they knew where they were going to sleep and eat. And then they could just go and do whatever the fuck they want to do. Or would that just squash motivation? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the answer I don't know is. I'll tell you what I think. I think it I think it squashes motivation. For some, right? I think, yeah. But would it for you? If you got a check every month for like twelve grand or uh, twelve grand for the year or whatever it is, like I think that's the idea. So you give people like a thousand bucks a year or a thousand bucks a month. A thousand bucks a month? Yeah. Or maybe double that. Just enough that you could just get by, but you know, you're not balling. Well, two questions. Number one, of course, would I, would I take free money? Sure. Would I feel good about it? No. Number two, where does that money come from? Right. Where does it come from? Because that, that's a thing that I also explain to my kids is that, you know, every time you every time the government gives a dollar to somebody, they took that dollar from somebody else. Yeah. So and it's you know, it's that's the reality of it. And yeah. And then the question is like where like when a guy like 
Bernie Madoff or some crazy Wall Street character, when they just move some money around and make money, like, okay, how much are you getting out of that? Yeah. Like, where's that coming from? Who's... Whose money was that? Like, where's that go? Where's that going? And how's it? How does it exist? Well, Bernie's a bad example, right? Because he was stealing everyone's or money. Or the best it, example. It, well, okay, yeah. yeah, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah, uh, but again, those people are f- formulating companies and funding companies that are trying to grow and build and yeah. create things. You know that that money it moves somewhere and it ends up you know investing in a company and building a company. That's what that's what that's what America is, right? Yeah. Trying to build things, trying to make things. Yeah. Taking risk. I wonder what is going to happen, though, when all these fucking robots start doing jobs. Well, I think a big jobs. one is the, uh, the automatic driving cars yeah. and trucks, because that's a huge, you know, you go to Vegas. I always think about this when I'm in Vegas and you go to the buffet and there's like 10 billion pounds of food. None of that food comes from Vegas. It yeah. all gets trucked in there. So yeah. at some point, all those trucks can be driven by robots. And that's not too far in the future at all. I think they're already doing it in Australia. They already yeah. have automated trucks in Australia that are driving, you know, shipping things around. It's going to get weird. <laughs> yeah, it's going to get real weird. Between that and genetic engineering and all these different things that we've been talking about, it's going to get really weird. And I think, again, going back to the original conversation we started off with today, I think the weirder it gets and the further we get away from primal sort of existence of hunting down food and fighting against other tribes, I think the further we get away from that, the more we're going to have to reach back to it and ground ourselves to it. Well, at the very least, the more you're going to have to deal with whatever requirements your body and your mind have for difficulty. I think we have requirements for struggle and difficulty because I think your body is set up to I think biologically, we have certain expectations for difficulty. And when you don't uncover those or encounter those expectations, I think people find like a real lack of meaning and stress in this lack of stress and this peace. And that's why we're going to have to reach back to this physicality Mm -hmm. at some point. And it's it's not just physicality. Like you're saying, it's mental struggle too. It's trying to achieve things. It's trying to win. It's trying to be competitive. If I'm just sitting there and I don't have a job anymore and I just get, you know, 12, a thousand bucks a month and that's enough for me to pay my food and pay my rent. I'm just going to sit there and play video games. Yeah. I don't think that's the kind of existence I would want to live. It might not even just be physical too. I think it's just in overcoming and enduring and figuring things out. Like even writing a book, I'm sure you're feeling like you just have, you have a new book out the way of the warrior kid. Yeah. And I'm sure the feeling that you get when you write a book and complete, complete it is I fucking did it. I, I made that happen. I didn't want to get through all those days. There was a lot of times I didn't want to write, but I got through it and here it is. There's a satisfaction of accomplishing sure. goals and of overcoming obstacles and problems and they don't have to be physical i think there's mental requirements that we have as well yeah i think when people aren't mentally challenged they just start to fade yeah right? and if you're not looking for the physical and the mental challenges you're going to start to fade so yeah. you, you got to be careful of that why did you write this book well the it's a kid's one. book it's a kid's yeah. book uh, way of the warrior kid and the reason i wrote it is because first of all all the things that we're talking about right now they're happening even more to kids. I mean, you have kids, right? Yeah. iPads, iPhones, they're sucked into technology. And oh, there's nothing completely wrong with that. But if they get sucked into technology and they don't ever come out of it, you you got issues. Yeah. And being a kid, if you remember, and a lot of people forget this, being a kid is hard. <laughs> being a kid is hard. And in this particular book, there's a kid. His name is Mark. He's in fifth grade. He's got kind of the typical issues that a fifth grader has. He can't do any pull-ups. 
So in gym class, when they're doing pull-ups, he's getting made fun of. He doesn't know his times tables, which you should absolutely know in fifth grade, but he doesn't know them, so he thinks he's stupid now. He doesn't know how to swim because he never learned, and he's when they go on the field trip to the, to the lake, he doesn't know how to swim, so everyone's having a good time, and he can't, and eventually they call him out on it. And finally, he's getting picked on by the big bully, Kenny Williamson. The oh, big bully. fucking Kenny. Kenny. That piece of shit. <laughs> Kenny Williamson. So... Last the, the the book starts off last day of school. Basically all these problems come to a head He's all bummed out crying behind the library Goes home and when he gets home his mom reminds him that his uncle uncle Jake is coming to stay with him for the summer And uncle Jake is a guy that was a seal in the seal teams And he's just got out of the seal teams and he's gonna go to college in the fall But he's gonna spend the summer with his sister and with his nephew mark and so you know, the, the the Navy SEAL shows up, Uncle Jake shows up, and he sees his little nephew, and he says, hey, you know, they're actually staying in the same room, and he says, hey, you know, what are you going to do tomorrow? You you know, you, you want to go play some ball? You want to go for a swim? And the kid says, you know, I, I, I don't want to play ball. It's not fun, and, and I don't know how to swim, and I don't know. He breaks down, you know, getting picked on the whole nine yards, and his uncle says, okay, so you can't swim. You don't know your times tables. You can't do any pull-ups, and you're getting picked on. We can change all those things. We just have to get... A plan put it together and make it happen so puts him on the workout program teaches him how to study teaches him how to swim teaches him jujitsu if it was only that easy <laughs> yeah it, it and what's what's good is it's not as hard as people think and i think that's why the book's getting a strong reaction because there's actually pragmatic methods in there on for instance i went through all this stuff not knowing not knowing times tables i went through that with my daughter my oldest daughter didn't know her timetables and what she thought was she's stupid. She thought I'm stupid I don't know my timetables other kids know them. I don't know them and I said to her, you know, she's crying You know, she's in whatever third or fourth grade crying. What's wrong? I'm stupid. Why do you think you're stupid? I don't know my timetables. Oh, well, how much have you studied them? I, I haven't studied them. Well, well, how do you think you're gonna know them if you haven't studied them? What do you mean study them? Boom make flashcards an hour later, she knows her times tables. It's that. And so I actually go through that method in the book. How do you learn how to fight? You're getting picked on. How do you learn how to fight? You go down to your, your jujitsu school and you start learning jujitsu. And you and I both know if you know jujitsu in a grade school fight in sixth grade, you're going to win a hundred percent of the time, right? So you learn, you learn that, uh, learn how to swim. How do you, how do you do that? And his big thing is he's afraid of water. Well, why are you afraid of the water? How do you overcome that fear? How do you overcome fear? You got to inoculate yourself to it. You start off wading in the water, then you dunk your head, then you get, you know, then you, then you lay down and you feel the water all over your body and then eventually you step in and then eventually you start to dog paddle and then eventually you start to swim and then eventually you jump off the bridge. So these are real things. That's how you overcome fear. And that, you know, that one I got from my, my middle daughter who wanted to be in the school play, but she got stage fright. And so she would freak out every time she would have to go in front of a crowd. So I said, okay, we're going to inoculate you to being in front of people. First, you're going to sing in front of me, you know, <laughs> and then you're going to sing in front of me and mom. And then you're going to sing in front of me and mom and your brothers and sisters. And then you're going to sing in front of, you know, our friends that are going to come over. There's going to be 10 of them. And then you're going to sing in front of, you know, all of the people that we know at a block party. And then you're going to get out and you're going to do your rehearsal. And she did it. And she got inoculated. And I'll tell you right now, she's not afraid of anything, that girl. And so... That's the same thing that, that he goes through in the book, overcoming his fear of water. He inoculates to it, gets used to it, and then finally the final step is you have to go, right? You can't overcome every part of the unknown. 
you have to, there's always going to be some unknown in doing something that you've never done before. And then what do you do when you've prepared as much as you can and you've done all the training that you can do, then you've got to step up and you've got to go. So that's what the book's about. And I wrote it so that kids can apply these things that I learned, both in the SEAL teams and in raising my own kids, they can apply them to their life. And the reaction's been great. It's been great to see all these kids reading it and all the great feedback of kids doing push-ups and pull-ups and, and training and going down and starting jujitsu and making flashcards. It's, it's awesome. That is awesome. And one of the cool things about being a kid is, you. well, it's, it's a struggle in that you haven't really achieved any success yet in anything. But what you don't realize is that you've got all these possibilities to get good at stuff. Yep. Like once you become really good at something, one of the real problems is people don't like to get out of their comfort zone and become a beginner again. Yep. And it's one of the beautiful things about life is humbling yourself with something new, yeah. humbling yourself and learning stuff. And, and kids, they don't have that lesson yet, so everything is terrifying but once they do learn it if you could teach a kid how to get good at one thing like one of the things that led me to get good at stand-up comedy and all the other things that I did is that I got really good at martial arts young so I knew okay I sucked when I first started I remember sucking but I remember I kept working and I get good at it because I focused and I put the time in well if I just do that with anything else I mean you've learned that you you can make a path you can do it it can be done and that's that's you know that's kind of one of the main points of the book and, he, and when the kid finally does his 10 pull-ups that was his goal and his uncle says you know D do you understand what this is about and this kid says you know well it's about I can do pull-ups now and he says no this is about everything about mm. everything that you want to do in life you're gonna have to work for it. you're gonna have to come up with a plan you're gonna have to have the discipline to execute that plan and when you do that, you're going to be able to achieve what you want to achieve. And that's hard work. Hard work and discipline is what's going to get you there. The problem is a lot of kids don't have anybody in front of them like Jocko to tell them. Well, and you know what? It's interesting. So in this book, you know, Uncle Jake is the character. And, and he actually addresses that in the end of the book because Uncle Jake leaves. And the kid says, hey, you know, you're not going to be around anymore. Who's going who's gonna to lead me? Who's going to help me train? And he says, you didn't need me then. And you don't need me now. You know what you need to do. You know it's going to take hard work. And the other thing that I did in this book, which is, I, I, I played around with the idea, but his dad, the kid's dad, is not really present. And, and the reason I did that is because a lot of kids these days don't have a dad around. And he, the only thing he says about his dad, I put one line in there about his dad, which was, you know, he says, my dad's gone a lot for his job and stuff. That, that's the only line. So you, you have an idea that the kid knows his dad and knows that he's out there, but he's working or doing whatever he's doing. But there's a lot of kids out there that don't have a dad. They don't yeah. have an Uncle Jake. And that was, you know, another reason why I wrote the book, because kids need to see and learn. You know, if you wouldn't have done martial arts, who would have told you that, hey, if you work hard and you train, you're going to get good at this. That would have, if you wouldn't have done that with martial arts, you wouldn't have done it with stand-up comedy, you wouldn't have done it with the rest of your career. You would have said, you know, you would have gotten on the stage the first time for, for, for stand-up comedy. You wouldn't have made anyone laugh. You would have walked off, said I suck, and gone to get a job, you know, down at 7-Eleven down at or, or whatever. You know, that's... Whereas if, you, if somebody said, look, man, of course you suck. You just started. Of course you suck. Of course you don't know your times tables. How would you know them? You don't born with that information. Of course you're not good at stand-up comedy. You just did it for the first time. You got to learn how to do it. Of course you're not good at stand-up fighting and taekwondo. You've never done it before. So you got to learn these things. You got to put in the work. You learn that lesson through martial arts. A lot of kids don't get that opportunity. I'm trying to give them that opportunity to learn it with this book. And even for people that aren't kids, like go do something you're not good at. 
It's it's really important. It's good. Just try something. Pick up a new hobby. Pick up a new discipline. Try learning how to play chess. Try just do something you suck at and yeah. let let your mind feel what it's like to be at the beginning stages of improvement again. I think it's it's very invigorating. Not only that, I mean, factually, that's good for your brain. You yeah. know, they say you're supposed to learn new languages, learn to play chess, learn to play guitar, read new books. You're supposed to do that stuff your whole life to continue. That's that's what continues. Just like your body falls apart, yeah. if you don't exercise it, your mind falls apart if you don't exercise it as well. Yeah, I definitely feel that. If I don't do anything new for a long time, I feel stagnant. But when I start doing something new, especially something that I'm not good at, so I start thinking about it a yep. lot, I start obsessing about it a lot, I get invigorated. I get excited about going there. Yeah, and, it, we, and we saw the same thing. Like when our first book came out, it's a leadership book, right? And everyone thinks, hey, you know, it's another leadership book. And then when you read it, people go, oh, wait a second. This is like a new thought. It's it's a new thought I haven't seen before. And we have these, you know, we, we have these things that we do where we just bring people in. Like it's usually we go out and work with a company. We go out with one company and we go out and we work with a company. But we found that there was some smaller companies or people that couldn't afford to bring us in. So we said, okay, what are we going to do about that? So we made this thing up called the muster where we open it up to the public to come and, you know, come and spend two days going through all these principles. And it's the same thing that you're talking about. They say, it's a challenge. It's new thought. It's thinking about something from a different light. People that have been in leadership positions for five years, 10 years, 15 years, and they go, oh, okay, I can apply this new methodology that I haven't seen, hadn't thought about before. So the continue to grow and learn is just so important across the board. Yeah, stepping outside of your comfort zone is just one of the most important things for a human being for whatever reason. I mean, I don't know what it is, but I know what works. And that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is, man. For me, I'd like to, I, I've got a bunch of shit that I do that I suck at right now. It's it's so important, man. I just started running really recently, like within yeah. the last couple of months. I've noticed that you've been fucking, uh, posting about that, dude. I suck at it. I'm fuck. I'm so it's crazy. But you're getting a lot better, a lot quicker, though, right? Oh man, like your endurance jumps up quick. Yeah. Like within a few weeks, I was able to like way past areas. Like I've got this um, this trail that's about two point seven miles through the hills like mm -hmm. real steep hills and there's some spots where i was just fucking dying and now i can get through them and i can get through them and get to the top and i'm still dying yeah but i'm dying less it's are you like, timing yourourself too so you're yeah, trying to make the times yeah i'm trying to make the times and and then you know uh i just started wearing a heart rate watch too mm -hmm. which uh i'll let my heart rate get down to like when i when i uh when i have to take a break on these hill sprints i'll get my heart rate down to 140 Got and then it. i'll start going again if people ask me that too because when do you get bored when do you get bored of working out and also when you reach your physical limitations right so you re reach your physical limitations on something you know like you're going to get down to a six minute mile let's say and then for you to take it past a six minute mile you're going to have to like stop lifting kettlebells get all skinny you know you'd go to a point where you now that'd be your sole focus and i know i'm guessing you wouldn't want to do that i know i wouldn't want to do that and so for me I'm always jumping around from kind of from goal to goal, right? Like, I'll, maybe I'll be doing pull-ups, heavy pull-ups for a while. I'll be doing pull-ups, 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 trying to get up my max pull-ups. And then I get to a point where, okay, now I'm I, I'm not going to – it's going to take every bit of focus in my life to get to from, from 58 pull-ups to 62. I, I don't want to do that. So I'm cool with 52, and now I'm going to start working on my deadlift, or I'm going to start training jiu-jitsu more. I'm gonna, and I'm just Can constantly – Can you do 52 pull-ups? Yeah, yeah. In a row? Be, 
Yeah, but like you know, kipping pull-ups, not oh. not 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 just full dead hang pull-ups. How, how many full dead hang pull-ups can you do in a uh, row? I don't know, probably thirty something. Damn, dude, yeah. that's a lot. Are you? Uh, do you do any do weighted ones at all? Oh yeah, yeah, I do weighted with a weight belt, or yep. do you you use a vest? What I have do? a weight belt and vests, so I have like you a have a whole setup in your basement. Is that what I'm looking whole, at? Yeah, it's my it's my garage. <laughs> oh, your garage. Yeah, it's my garage, which is uh, you have a house gym, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. it, it's a it's a game changer. Yeah, I hate to say it because not everyone can can make that happen. People live in cramped quarters, but man, if you can even just get a pull up bar uh-huh. and, and, and maybe a set of rings, yeah, you can do so much. And then you grab yourself one kettlebell. Yeah, if you have a yard and you have a kettlebell, you could do a lot. Yep, for but sure. Pull, pull, pull up bars are so gigantic. Well, not really. All you need for a pull-up bar is a, a ceiling. No, that's what I mean. I mean, it's so gigantic to have. Oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. So huge for sure. to have. For sure. Like, you get so, and also, it's so good for your shoulders just to hang. Yep. You know, I think. And your it, back. Yeah. But if you have a pull-up bar in your house, you can do pull-ups, you can do push-ups, you can do squats, you can do, you know, all kinds of burpees and everything else, sit-ups and gut work, and you can pretty much get your whole body in really good shape with, yeah. with that one piece of equipment. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so when you set out your workouts, do you do you write them down on paper? Do you just have an idea what you want to do? I do write them down because I kind of log what I'm doing, but I'll put down, you know, whatever exercise I'm going to do or whatever bunch of exercises I'm going to do, and I'm logging down what I'm you know, what my times are, if I'm going mm-hmm. for time or what the weights are, if I'm going for weight. And I'm, I'm pretty, I heard this the other day, so I'm going to say it. Um, they said Arnold was an instinctual trainer. Mm. So I, I do that somewhat, you know, I'm not like looking at a book and I don't plan out for three weeks or a month in advance of exactly what I'm gonna do that day. Cause that day I might go, damn, I, you know, I'm not feeling that type of workout and I'm, I, I need to not do it. I'm going to do something else. Mm. So I'm, I, I use my what my body's telling me somewhat. That's not to say that I go, hey, I don't feel like doing anything to do today, so I'm not going to do it. Because that's a, actually a, a rule that I have. If I don't feel like doing something today, I feel like I need a rest. I'll do something that day and put the rest off till the next day. Mm. Make yourself do it today. And then if you still need it tomorrow, you can take a rest. But you can't take a rest today. Not allowed. Ooh, interesting. <laughs> do that to yourself. You're your own boss. So when you write your stuff out, do you have like a log book? Do yep. you keep like, uh, so you could go back and track yep. progress yep. and you look at yourself? Yep. So like, say if you're going to work out tomorrow, do you plan it out tonight? Nope. I know kind of what I'm going to do tomorrow. Tomorrow I'm going to do a bunch of ring dips. I'm going to do a bunch of dips. I'm going to be doing a bunch of uh, parallel uh, push-ups. I'm going to do a ton of burpees and probably some st- that's that's gonna round it out right now. I I have a little tweak on my knee right now, so I can't sprint um, like I normally would. But otherwise, I'd do be doing some sprints in there too. Yeah, jujitsu tweaks, right? It, is yeah. that what it was? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was fucking joints, man. It is. And and but if you think about how much time you spend on the mat, if if I would have been playing basketball, yeah. or playing soccer, I'd still get the same. Probably worse. Yeah, probably worse. Yeah, especially I've been with knees. Relatively injury free, and this is not a bad tweak. It's just like, oh yeah, a little tweak. Well, that's one thing that I try to impart on people too. That like strength and conditioning training, particularly strength training, it protects the joints oh, for sure, and the back, and a lot I, of other issues. I think that is why I have been relatively knock on wood injury free, because two two reasons. I work out all the time, and I never take like any significant amount of time off. I never mm. say I'm not going to work out or I never just fall into a, Hey, I went th- two months or even two weeks or even five days for me to, 
for me to not work out for five days, there was some kind of like something happened. I was like majorly sick or I was, even if I'm traveling, I'll, I'll still get it done. But I think that that consistency, your body just is used to it and you don't, you don't get hurt as often. And you're like a hardcore metal guy, right? Like what are you listening to? I listen to, you know, I, so I grew up on the East coast listening to old school, hardcore music. Yeah. And, and, you know, so metal and hardcore bands like the bad brains, uh, Cro-Mags, agnostic front, <laughs> just old school, hardcore bands from, from, yeah. From that the East guy, coast. John Joseph is a trip. Yeah. The yeah. head of the Cro-Mags. Yeah. He's a fucking trip, man. I watched this documentary about him. I mean, he's in his fifties. Tapes up his ankles and shit before shows. Yeah. Like he's warming up and stretching out. Does triathlons in between shows. Right, wrote a book called Meat is for Pussies. Yeah. He's a hardcore vegetarian. He's like a Hare Krishna. Yeah. He's like, he's I like got, deep I, dude. The, the other guy, the guy that founded that band, the Cro-Mags, he's, uh, he's actually a buddy of mine. He's a jiu-jitsu guy. He's a black belt in jiu-jitsu, but he, he's, he's had a completely insane life as well. His name is Harley Flanagan, and he, his life's been completely insane. Isn't it doesn't even really uh, doesn't there's hardly there's hardly Jesus right there. Christ, what yeah. a great picture. Yeah, he's a maniac. I, I actually it was interesting because I just I had it. him on on my podcast and it's it was a different it was a different you know guest for me a different genre and people you know first of all the guy you know people that listen to my podcast um, they expect a certain type of podcast, right? I'm going to talk about leadership. I'm going to talk about the military. And all of a sudden I bring in this guy who's been a complete maniac. And I mean, he's done, you know, he was uh, drugs, you know, drug, sex, rock and roll. It's basically been his whole life. And since he was like 10 years old, he was playing in a punk rock band in New York City when he was Holy like 10 years old. shit. He was... When he was 10? When he was 10, he was smoking. Where the fuck were his parents? Uh, his mom was a hippie. His dad was a roamer. Never, oh, never, never man. met and knew his dad. And he is just—he just grew up in the streets of the Lower East Side of New York. Did you Jesus. go to New York City in the '80s at all? Very little. I fought in a tournament in New York in the 1980s, and I remember driving there with uh, some of the guys from Boston. We were driving to the city, and looking at it, going, "What in the <laughs> fuck is this place?" And New York in the '80s is completely different than it is now. And it was really, really bad it was filled with crime like 42nd street down in times square and i would when i was a kid i would go there because i was into this kind of music and i would yeah. go and see hardcore shows and metal shows and you'd get off the train and you'd get out in 42nd street there'd be you know every two steps drugs dust crack everything and but that's where he grew up basically without parents and then he's got a just just a crazy crazy story how old is he now he's 50 He's and he's 50. still training, still yeah, doing jiu-jitsu? Yeah, he teaches kids class at Henzo's. Wow. He's the kids instructor at Henzo Gracie. In New York? <laughs> yeah. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. That's uh, cool. But it was interesting because I had him on the podcast, and it was interesting to have people that listen to it that listen to my podcast, which is very different. You know, you bring in basically all kinds of, you get all kinds of oh, such a completely wide variety of people in here. My guests have been basically war guys, right? right. Brian Stan, Tim Kennedy, Jody Middick, who's a Canadian uh, sniper, wounded real bad in, in Afghanistan. I had a guy named Colonel William Reeder on there who was a, a pilot in Vietnam, got shot down and got shot down twice, actually captured in Vietnam, was in, in, in captivity for a year. And he's talking about he's in a in a bamboo cage 
with his legs shackled and he wakes up in the middle of the night because the rats are eating his wounds. I mean, I'm bringing on guys that are just talking about, not, not only talking about heavy subjects, but they're also talking about it from, you know, a very uh, positive perspective of life, right? I mean, is there anyone more positive than, than Brian Stan, right? It's I mean, that, that guy's just like a, like a, just an American hero, right? And so then I, all of a sudden, out of left field, I bring on Harley Flanagan, and, and he tells his story. It was really interesting to me to, to have people's reactions. And there was a couple people that were like, oh, you know, this was a real letdown for you to bring him on. But if you hear his story and you listen to the whole podcast, I mean, here's a guy who, who you can hear it in his voice. Like his, his heart is broken over some of the things that he's been through in his life, losing his father. I mean, his father was a, was a heroin addict, and, and his father died burned alive in a dumpster as he lit a fire to try and keep himself warm oh, that, that's how his Christ. dad died um buried his mom i mean it's just it's just a tragic story but my point is that the even though i had a very few people that were like oh that was you know you shouldn't have he swore literally hey he swore a bunch on the podcast that's inappropriate or whatever and then I, what was really that that was kind of huh, well that's that's kind of too bad to hear hear someone say that that they would have that viewpoint but what was really cool was all these other people that are very straight laced kind of kind of middle road american people that that listen to the podcast were like dude thanks for having that guy on what a heart what a guy and it's good for me to know about that stuff and it's good for to hear someone that's been through the depths of drug addiction and hell come back out of it and do all right and and again from my perspective i think that my interaction with those kind of people when i was growing up which i certainly had you know i was a young kid going to new york and boston going to hardcore shows and all that it, it'll let me see part of the world that most people don't really see and so when i got in the military i got i was kind of used to dealing with people that people aren't used to dealing with and i think it helped me out a lot so is it uh, hard managing expectations once you, I mean, how many, what do you do? You have like 75 episodes up already? Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Last time you hear, you had zero. zero. <laughs> <laughs> I love it though. You're, you're getting after it. It's, uh, and it's a lot, you know, my podcast is a lot different than yours because I'm going deep on some subject that I'm actually going to like, I have to study and prepare for. Mm -hmm. And, and it's not interacting with another person most of the time. Most of the time I'm interacting with history. So it's, it's harder for me to prepare. Now, I'm, of course, you've been preparing for this podcast for 50 years, right? I mean, that's what you, you've been mentally preparing for getting your experiences and your background. But I have to, like, dive into stuff. And, and so it is hard. My, 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 my point is, yes, it's hard for me to do a podcast a week. i got to read a but book. But is, is it hard to manage expectations is what I was getting after? Like, because once you establish, like, a, a fan base, sometimes they have this idea in their head of what the podcast should be to them, like what they want out of it. And then they, they can express that they don't like where you're going. Like, yeah. I don't like that you brought this Harley guy on. This guy's not what I like. I like straight-laced military guys who don't right. swear. This guy's a, a fucking nutty dude who <laughs> jumps around on stage. And the uh, My answer to that is no. And, and I'll tell you why. From the beginning of, you know, when you said, and it was you and it was you and Tim Ferriss, you know, both you guys said you should do a podcast, and I said, okay, cool. Well, to this day, your podcast with Tim Ferriss is one of my all-time favorite podcasts. Well, I listened I to it, it in uh, in my, I was I was cooking, I was listening to my kitchen, I was like, Jesus fucking Christ, this is a good podcast. It was intense, you know, and it was uh, it was so deep and intense, and I was like, I gotta I gotta talk to this dude. 
I got to get you on because I I had known you like from peripherally from yeah. Dean's fights and I'd seen you around and that, but I didn't know who you were you right. know I didn't know your story until right. Tim had you on yeah and and so you know Tim again when he when he pressed stop on the on the on the recorder he said you should have your own podcast and then you told me in the middle of the podcast you should have your own podcast and obviously when you two guys are telling me i should have my own podcast i'm being a complete idiot not to listen to you well you did and now it's a huge success which is hilarious <laughs> yeah. i love when people listen <laughs> yeah everyone listen to joe um don't yeah, listen to me about everything though <laughs> be selective <laughs> i'm often wrong but as i've done it i've done you know what I want to do and if people don't like it that um, that's okay I'm okay with someone saying hey you know what you're you know I did so I've done some episodes that were horrible man I talked about the My Lai massacre if you don't know what that is the My Lai massacre you know people talk about these atrocities that Americans commit all the time Americans don't actually commit atrocities all the time, but we have committed some heinous atrocities and this one is well documented Vietnam the My Lai massacre it was a company of soldiers going into a, a village and they raped murdered killed around 500 people just cold blood. I mean it, it's it's heinous. It's awful probably the hardest podcast that I've done because I'm a patriotic guy and here I am talking about you know American soldiers doing heinous acts to innocent people and and so and I've done that I did the I did a podcast about the genocide in Rwanda which was if you don't know anything about that two tribes and it's very hard for Americans to understand this the difference between these two tribes is nothing it's just two tribes they speak the same language they have the same they look the same they have the same religion, which, by the way, the religion was Catholicism because they'd been like converted to Catholicism. Well, they went on a rampage, and the Hutus, which was one tribe, murdered eight hundred thousand Tutsis in a hundred days with machetes. With machetes. So, I've Ugh. covered these dark and horrible things on my podcast, and and I and I don't even know really 100% why other than this thought in the back of my mind that I've always had which is that you have to kind of understand the darkness of the world in order to appreciate the good in the world and that's why it was really interesting to hear you talking to Jordan Peterson because he he covered that part you know he was saying look man is got a dark side and you won't become a good person unless you understand your dark side and and it's interesting for me because Jordan Peterson is clearly a, a, a highly intellectual and academic guy and I'm not right I'm I'm a nug right I joined the military after high school and and yet all, so many of the things he says when he says them I say oh yeah well that's the same thing I stumbled upon he came across that reading the the French philosopher or whatever that's where he comes I came across it in life and so it's very interesting to, to to me when I hear him say look there's darkness in the world and there's evil in the world and we have to face that and and as soon as I heard him saying that on the podcast I'm like well that's that's what I think and I can't give you the philosophical basis for it like he can but I can tell you what I've lived through and I can tell you that if you don't understand the fact that there's darkness in the world and that people human beings are capable of evil things if you don't understand that you're not going to understand the 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 first of all you're not going to understand what you need to look out for in the world and what we need to be aware of as a society and as a as a race of humans 
but also you're not going to appreciate things in the world that are beautiful and good and positive so with the podcast i'm not doing it to make people happy i'm not doing it to make people listen i'm not even doing it to make people listen i'm doing it because it's things that i've lived through it's things that i want to understand better and i'm gonna keep doing what i'm doing and if people like it then that's awesome and if people don't want to listen to it that's cool too well at least from my personal experience listening to guys like jordan peterson or listening to yourself or listening to anybody talk about really deep important subjects even if you know what they're saying to be true, it reinforces it in your own mind and maybe even opens up new doors of comprehension. D Jordan certainly did that with me when I was listening to him talk. Yeah. Like he was saying some things like, you know, like uh, like talking about dragons and dragons have gold. I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Like he, he was he was hitting some notes about human psychology and the reason why we behave in certain ways and the pitfalls of these certain types of behavior that I absolutely knew he was right, but and maybe I would even thought about them before, yeah. but seeing them reinforced so eloquently and seeing it expressed so articulately, it, it really like, it, it sparked life in, in my mind. Yeah, and even, you know, he was talking about being a warrior, right? And how these guys in modern times we don't that we don't spend time being a warrior if you and I were living 500 years ago you and I would both be battle scarred and we would be used to that lifestyle people aren't used to that lifestyle now they've kind of forgotten what that feels like and so I'm that was my life I mean that was my life was to prepare for war and go fight war that was my whole life and so for me to look back on it now and hear Jordan Peterson to say like that's normal that's okay that's expected and it makes me say okay I understand now where you know kind of part of part of, I understand myself better when I hear him say oh yeah this is this is normal for guys to go out and fight wars this is the warrior mentality and when you come back and you tell the truth about it people will react to that in a positive way that's what he was saying about you he's like hey look you're not you're not some you know academic sitting there reading a book and and talking about what you're reading in the book you're like no i live i'm a fighter i fight i've been through this stuff i've had physical challenges that's why people are are listening to what you're saying you know because you have that warrior mentality in your life well, I think that guys like Jordan Peterson, I think that anybody that can tap into those truths that we know, you know, uh, I just don't think we hear them enough. I think we're inundated with so much stupid shit every day. It's so hard to get to any like real substantial truths that will positively affect your, both your outcome and your, your outlook on life. And yeah. I think guys like you, guys like Tim Ferriss is putting on all these amazing podcasts, Jordan Peterson, all these people that can express things to someone like this podcast literally has changed my life. I mean, it's changed my thinking. It's I'm a, di a totally different person than I was when I first started this podcast because talking to all these interesting and fascinating people and wise people, it's been like having some crazy crash course in a million different disciplines and a, a, a bunch of different conversations and seeing the pitfalls of some people's thinking and, and, and being around people where you see the holes in, in their, their the way they express themselves or the way they process information. You know, it made me recognize the, the holes in my own processing and the way I used to communicate with people. I'm just, I'm a better, 
I'm a better conversationalist now. And it all comes from just having these intense conversations. This, this whole podcast thing is something that I never expected in life. I never expected it was going to come along. When it came along, I never expected it would be something that I would do. And I never expected it would be something I consume as much as I do. I don't even have radio anymore in my fucking car. No. I listen to music. If I listen to music, it's my music that I, I get off of iTunes. Or it's uh, something that someone, like a new band that someone tells me or turns, turns me on to. But I don't listen to anybody like I don't listen to satellite radio. No. I don't listen to local radio. I listen to podcasts constantly. Hundred percent. Yeah. And, and there's something that is, and I, I know even I experience it. So I'm what I'm seventy five podcasts deep. It's been going for a year and some change. But when people come up to me now, they they look me in the eyes and they shake my hand. They know and you. They know me. They know you. And. I kind of know them too. Like they have these shared experiences with me. And I talked about this on that, on that podcast about Rwanda. They talk about the fact that the first thing they do in a revolution, in a coup, is they want to take control of the radio. And there's this great piece in there where he says, they're talking about the fact that with, with TV, you have to take what the image on the screen in your mind, your eyes process it, and then it goes into your brain. With reading, you take those words and they go in through your eyes and it processes them and it goes into your brain. But with audio, there's no filter. The words are going directly into your brain. They're unfiltered. And so it's this, that's why I think this podcast audio format is so powerful because the people that are listening to this right now, they're sitting in the room with us. They're here with us. And when I'm recording my podcast, I'm actually talking to them and they're there. And when I go out and I meet people, you can absolutely feel like, hey, and the, the little inside jokes, because even though my, my, I'm talking about how dark and evil my podcast is, but we're, we, we have a good time too and we have episodes that are funny and we talk about regulars, we talk about jujitsu and food and everything else working out and we, we, we have fun too. And all those little inside jokes, people will say the inside jokes to me that right. I never met this person before, but, but he knows exactly what I'm talking about. And and so it's it's a very very powerful medium that I think got skipped over, and you know we we went from radio just completely absorbed into TV and then absorbed into the internet, and now all of a sudden we got to this other side where we're back to this thing that there's some reason why people used to sit around that radio and listen to those radio shows back in the day. Even I did. You know, when I was a kid, for whatever reason, I liked radio shows. Yeah. I listened to. Dr. Demento. Remember oh, the Dr. Yeah, Demento I show? Oh, yeah, Dr. Yeah. Demento. I would sit there and listen to Dr. Demento, and they'd have those little radio shows and those skits, and that was a powerful medium, and I knew it back then. And so for, for me, like you, you know, as soon as, as soon as you and Tim were saying, you should do your own podcast, I was, absolutely, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to, every, you know, my goal is that when people press play on my podcast i want them to like be putting their headphones on and like stretching their neck a little bit pressing play and then and then just going okay this this is i want them to get absorbed in it that's yeah, what that's what my goal is it. well there's also nothing else like it in terms of like that you can have you only have one guy you work with right echo yep. charles echo just Charlie. you and him yep so it's you and him and that's it that's like there's it. there's not like a whole team if you had a the the audience that you have i know that you guys are a shit ton of downloads now so the that kind of audience if you were on a radio show you'd have a successful radio show so you'd be in a studio somewhere you'd have a network behind you you'd have to have production meetings you'd have to have a bunch of people that would tell you what the fuck i was they, gonna say i'd have people telling me 
what I could and couldn't say. Yeah. I'd have people telling me to stop. Yeah. Hey, you got to do an advertisement right now. Yep. And well, no. And that's the beautiful thing about it. And, you know, I know we're leaving money on the table because right now all these advertisers that come to us and they say, hey, can you talk about this? And can you talk about that? And can you, and they want to pay us money. And I'm just like, nope, we're not doing it. We have one. We have on it because it's your, your boys, your company. And you helped me in the beginning. So, and good products, but that's it. That's all. That's the only advertisements we have. Not doing anybody else. And so there's no one that can tell me what to do. Yeah, it's this mine, is a lot to and that. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> there's a lot to that. There's a lot to, and also not interrupting your podcast is giant. Yeah. Not ever, never breaking up that thought. You know, just keeping that thing going to the end. Say thank you very much. Yep. See you guys next week. You know, <laughs> yeah. boom. And I just think that people get locked up in this is like sort of like almost like a trance of the way you're thinking. They're they're in Jocko's mind. You're talking and they're thinking how you're thinking. They're like allowing themselves to be taken on this journey, whether they're in their car, whether they're at the gym, they're absorbed in your thoughts in a very unique way. And because of the fact there's not a whole lot of other people contributing in it and entering into the picture. You know, like producers and network executives right. and advertising agencies. And look, we've looked at the stats. And Jocko, <laughs> you've got to talk more about this. And, you know, I mean, you could get lost in analytics and never find your true voice. But right. podcasts, it's almost entirely your true It's so, it, it's, I, want to say, I don't want to say low tech. It's not low tech, but it's low. There's a, there's a small amount of voices, you know, in terms of like each individual podcast, it's just your voice. And it may be like mine, it's mine and the guest and whoever else comes in. That's it. Yep. There's not a lot of other intrusion. Yeah. And that's where you, I mean, singular visions is what makes some, it's like, there's a reason why Netflix does so well. And the reason why a lot of these HBO shows do so well is because they leave those fucking people alone. Mm -hmm. They just yep. go make a, make us Game of Thrones. We'll be back here. Go ahead. What are you going to do? You're going to make a comedy special? You know, I did my last comedy special with Netflix. They have fucking zero notes for me. Zero. I've never done a goddamn thing where they didn't say, you can't talk about this. You can't put that bit in. Awesome. It's the only thing I've ever done where they said, we love it. And they're like, that's it? Yeah, do it. Go kick ass. Okay. That's like literally beautiful. that was it. Yeah. I love that joke. You're going to do that one? I'll do it. Yeah. I, I actually told that to my publisher um, about you know, my publisher, I was like, you know what the best thing about my podcast is, is that no, I can do whatever I want to do. I can do whatever I want to do. And that's what makes it, it's, it's very, very liberating. There's no, yeah. control. I mean, you write, write a book, you know, there, someone's going to edit that thing and they're going to change this and they're going to adjust that. And they want the cover to look like this. The podcast is, it is just you. And, you know, even the first, my first podcast came out and, you know, my wife listened to it and she was all stoked. Because when was the last time that you sat down and talked, just talked to your wife for two and a half hours, right? Yeah. It doesn't right. happen. It doesn't. And my wife was like, hey, it was awesome. Like, she got to know me better. Yeah. I've been married to her for 20 years. She got to know me better because she got to sit and listen to me talk for two and a half hours. And now she, she's listened to every single one of them. And she's, she knows, she actually knows me better than she did before the podcast started because I got a wife and four kids and jobs and work and travel and all that. She I don't have time to sit there and talk to my wife for, for two and a half hours. Hey, maybe I'm a bad person, but that's just the reality of life. Yeah. Well, you know what? Honestly, when do you ever get a chance to sit like this across from someone and right. talk to them for three hours without checking your phone, without anybody coming into the room, without anybody interrupting you with something you have to do or someplace you have to be? It's very odd. And it's 
that's one of the things that I say, one of the reasons why I say that it changed my life is because it educated me on other people's thought processes in a way that you just don't, you don't get one-on-one dialogue with people in the real world. And if you think about it, you know, as we talk about going back to these primal things, there's, there's a primal thing about com- having human conversation. And if you think about where technology is going, we don't have much human conversation. So you're a hundred percent right. Not only am I not having two and a half hour conversations with my wife, I'm not having two and a half hour conversations with anybody, anybody. until I come up here and sit down with you or until I go into my podcast studio and I sit down and I have it a two and a half hour conversation with, you know, a million people that yeah. are going to sit there and listen and they're going to give me feedback on Twitter and they're going to tell me this and they're going to tell me their story. And it's, it's very, it's, it, we're filling a hole. I think there's a hole in communication right now because, you know, we text each other, you know, yeah. you and me text each other. Yeah. Right? I text, I text Echo. I text everybody. I text my wife. I don't even think you and I have ever had a conversation on the phone. No. No, never. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the world we're living in. People just text. Yeah, it's just fucking weird. Text and we're good. It's weird. And I like legit things. Hey, I got to send you something. Yep, here's yeah. my address. Boom. Yep, it's yeah. just like just like that's the way it is. And yeah. it's totally acceptable. But there's something missing. Yep. And if we can't, you know, the next level is like, oh, we're going to roll. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's the next thing is you train together. But there's there's the, there's a gap in, in human contact right now in having conversations. And I'm just thinking this right now that this the whole nature of podcasting fills that hole. And if you look at the podcasts that do well, it's podcasts that are conversationalists, unless you go with the co- podcast that's highly produced and they got mm-hmm. they, you know, because like you, Radio Lab, yeah, or all like those that, ones yeah. that are highly produced, and even the ones that are produced by you know NPR, so they mm-hmm. have real money behind them, and they're, they're they're a different thing. But for normal dudes that are just sitting around and talking, those are popular podcasts. That's why Tim, Sam Harris, those guys are sitting around and talking and explaining stuff because that doesn't exist anymore in the in the day to day life for a lot of people. You know what else doesn't exist in the day to day life? A place where it's okay to be a man. <laughs> it's actually okay to yeah, be a yeah. man. It's okay to have man thoughts. Like yeah. everybody is so so toned down and neutered. It's like human resources and and corporate life has watered down people's natural behavior to the point where people are just dying on the inside, sitting in these fucking cubicles, rotting, yeah. just freaking the fuck out, having all these thoughts they can't entertain, having to pretend to be someone they're they are not all day long, putting on this bullshit way of talking, this fake way of thinking. Everybody's got to subscribe to whatever fucking ridiculous policies their company wants to enforce. And you're just a robot, and you get out of there, and you just want to scream. Yeah, or you want to listen to some guys talk about some real shit. Some real shit, <laughs> yeah. And then go, fuck, how come I can't talk about real shit? Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's another reason why I wrote the kids' book, because the kids' book, instead of you know it being about, hey, if someone's picking on you, go and tell the teacher. It's like, no, actually, if somebody's picking on you, learn to defend yourself and kick their ass if needed. That's... That, that hasn't been said. That's another reason I wrote the book. I, I, I went, I've told this story before, but I went and got some book for my kid when he was little. My, my, I have one son and three daughters. I went and got a book from him. It was, it was like a pirate book, right? And I'm thinking, cool, pirates are going to burn stuff, take over villages, <laughs> steal things. This will be awesome. And I read the book and it's just complete. Uh, these guys are complete, you know, 
pathetic. They're pathetic. They're not. They're fake pirates. They're fake pirates. They're not manly pirates, right? And I just was so embarrassed. Who wrote by the it. book? I don't know. Some I don't even remember. A check? I was threw it, a it check? away. I threw it away. A check pirate book. <laughs> and, God damn and, it! You know, if you can't <laughs> learn from a pirate that you got to go out and like crush some things sometimes, then we got to just check ourselves. Because guess what? Life is. That's what life is. That's an, that's another thing that we shield kids from these days. Life is hard. Yeah. You don't get a trophy. You don't get it. There's no such yeah. thing as a trophy for participation. That's fake. It's a lie. D- doesn't exist. You can't learn your times tables. Guess what? You need to work and study. You don't get put into a special class and get a tutor and maybe you get aid. You know, you got some special help to get. No, you need to work and make that happen. You don't know, don't, don't know how to swim. Guess what? That doesn't mean you stay away from the water. No, you learn how to swim. You step up. You man up. That's what you do. So that's another reason why I wrote the book so that people can actually, kids can learn that life is hard. And in order to deal with life, you got to be hard. Yeah. And just this idea that life is hard, something you're supposed to shield from them. It's so silly. And, you know, I've had this conversation with my friends because uh, everybody that I know that's interesting had a fucked up life. But <laughs> but now we have kids, and the last thing we want is our kids to have a fucked up life. So we put our kids in these good schools, yeah. we live in these nice neighborhoods, everybody eats healthy, and there's no fucking domestic violence, and everybody seems, it's it's so different than all of our lives. And we were talking about it, me and Brian Callen were actually talking about it, like, look, we all had fucked up childhoods, and everybody we know had fucked up childhoods. And they're all interesting, but I don't want my kids to be boring, but I also want them to be safe. <laughs> so it's like, how do you, how do you approach that? I mean, I think you get involved. This what I've chosen to do is get my kids involved in martial arts and, 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 uh, and give them the opportunity to pursue difficult things and understanding that through pursuing these difficult things, like in accomplishing stuff, like you, you learn something about yourself. You learn that you have this ability inside of you to overcome. I, I've got this statement that I made on my podcast about kids. And I said, if you're helping your kids you're hurting them and if you think about it right and the the example i gave is like tying your kid's shoe if you tie your kid's shoe you're you're actually taking away the opportunity in their life to develop their fine motor skills of tying a shoe you're actually taking that away from them yeah and it's the same with everything make your own sandwich make your own bed clean your own room you need to do this stuff for yourself and when i'm helping you you're i'm hurting you so i think we can i think we can protect them without just completely coddling them and making sure that every issue that ever could present itself to them has been eliminated yeah. Because you're going to end up with some weak kids. Yeah, and if those kids have to compete with some kid who's had to take care of himself their whole life, that kid's going to be ferocious. Yep. Yeah, you're going to have a feral kid <laughs> competing against your little soft, fleece-lined yeah. kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, that's, that's why some of those competitive sports are, are so important. You know, whether it's, and martial arts are great, wrestling's great, jiu-jitsu, but, you know, football, basketball, anything that puts you in those challenging positions where you're going to have to step up you're going to get ground out and like my one of my daughters wrestles whoa yeah and she is you know this is the same one that got stage fright and to see her step up and you know we live a pretty good life right i mean it's we live in southern california we live in a nice house it's 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 a nice living right it's a very comfortable situation some of the hardest times that she's been put through is on the wrestling mat and having to step up against some girl that like the exact girl you're talking about some girl from the barrio in san diego that's a tough ass girl that's been through the ringer and has domestic violence going on in her house and her one escape from all that is to come out and wrestle against some other girl and beat her down so my daughter has to step up and do that and 
it's it's an incredible thing. It's 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 incredibly powerful and empowering. Even I watched her change, you know, when she would be intimidated by in those situations to where now she's like, bring it, bring it. I got something for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome, man. Um, we we're almost three hours in here. So anything else? You got a whole. This, you're, you're the only guys ever showed up, I think, with this many notes. Yeah. Well, so what I want to do is now, if we can spend the next four hours going through my <laughs> Let's notes, go over man, it. We we hit a, we hit you, all kinds of stuff. Did we? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was uh, driving up here taking notes on uh, on the Jordan Peterson podcast i think everyone should listen to that. it's a great great podcast to, to listen to and there's so many points that he covers in there that are really profound and i think important important today but well yeah. he's dealing with a very unusual situation where those coddled soft kids are now in universities and they're trying to run the show with these ridiculous programs of inclusion and diversity and you know forcing their mindset down everybody else's throat it's really fascinating yeah it's uh fascinating and disturbing to see yeah. all that happening and it's really yeah it's, it's it's actually disturbing to see that happening and see kids could be focused on such important things in the world and they end up focusing on something that is borderline in many cases borderline you know meaningless you know why don't you let's let's move towards a real goal there's diseases to cure and you know yeah good things to do in the world <laughs> well you know i think everybody agrees that racism is bad and homophobia is bad but that's not exactly what you're dealing with here what you're dealing with is people trying to control the way other people behave and talk and think and it, it's, it might not even be in response to any actual real like uh, negative things that have happened yeah. it's like they're trying they're trying to create negative things to battle that might not even be there there's just a, a lot of weirdness today in this world and i think that to bring it back full circle a lot of this weirdness comes from a lack of true struggle like do you think that these kids that are growing up in russia that are doing backflips off of the top of buildings <laughs> Are they dealing with the same, like, uh, you know, diversity lectures and, and classes that they have to handle? And I think there's an there's an intrinsic part of human beings that wants to be part of a tribe of some yeah. kind and wants to defend their tribe. And when you grow up in a place where there's no real tribe, then you look for one to latch onto. And these people over here, they have a cause and they've got a tribe and you can be part of that tribe and you can be and you, then you can lash out at the bad guys. And I think that happens a lot. And I think it's uh, it's unfortunately unfortunate because it really crushes, you know, individuality, which is what I you know, that's my kind of my premier base, you know, thoughts are around you know, individual freedom. Right? Yeah. Be an individual. Think for yourself. Free your mind. Yeah. There's a lot of like comfort in those groups that these people belong to, whether it's, you know, any kind of group, whether it's a hardcore right wing group or a hardcore left wing group, you get in, you, you kind of know what the rules are and you play by those yeah. rules and then you, you surround yourself with a bunch of like minded people in an echo chamber who also support the fact that these rules are the rules and we have to get these out there. And like, I think we just need to establish there's a bunch of shit you shouldn't do. Don't steal from people. Don't rape anybody. Don't, you know, don't shoot anybody like figure out a way we can harmoniously get along together without fucking with each other you know and then just let everybody be whatever they are if you're gay you're gay if you like listening to fucking classical music and and running naked through the streets i don't care just don't yeah. fuck me yeah. just don't you know don't cause trouble don't and, you know and again that's just you're talking about individual freedom yeah be yourself which is man what i'm you know which which is what i like individual but freedom do what you want to do hard for insecure people to allow that to happen because in, insecure people when they see individual freedom that's contrary to what their own personal behavior is like 
they they have to question themselves and challenge themselves. They decide that that person's wrong, and these people are wrong, and I'm right, and this and this needs to be established, and we need to fight, and we need to, you know, go out and punch Nazis or whatever the fuck they think they're supposed to be doing. And it just gets real weird, man. Yeah, it, it's weird than when that becomes your whole life. Yeah, and, and and I'm sure you get this. I get it a lot, which is people on social media that want me to weigh in on this thing or they want me to weigh in on this side or they're attacking me because of this or they're attacking me because of that. Uh, not so much attacking, but people want me to weigh in on things all the time. And it's things that I just say, man, that this isn't affecting me. And, and, and not only that, my comments aren't going to move this forward. And finally, I don't care about yeah. that thing. I understand that you're obsessed with it, but I'm not. I yeah. don't, I'm not obsessed with this thing that you're obsessed with. So I don't even care that you're obsessed with it. That's cool. And when people ask me, they're like, hey, sounds good. You know, yeah. sounds good. Go, keep, keep, keep doing what you're doing. Sounds great. Not, not my thing. Move on. People get obsessed with things that they won't even be obsessed with a few years later. Like, hey, man, I got obsessed about that thing that you were obsessed with, and now I'm like you. No, man, I'm not even obsessed about that anymore. I'm on to some new shit. <laughs> yeah, go get obsessed with kettlebells and jujitsu. Yeah. Start that out. Yeah, get obsessed with life improvement. Find things that you enjoy doing that are difficult. Do them and get better at them. It seems so simplistic. It seems like a ridiculous, idealistic point of view, but it's effective. Yeah, you will be happier, and you will be a more positive positive influence on everyone around you. Yeah, for and sure. Be nice to people. <laughs> Not so hard. <laughs> Jocko Willink, ladies and gentlemen, uh, tell everybody how they can get your podcast. Podcast Jocko Podcast is the name of the podcast. It's available everywhere. New book is called Way of the Warrior Kid. Old book is called Extreme Ownership. You can get those everywhere they sell books. The Muster, which is a leadership event in Austin, Texas. Then we got one in San Diego. Extremeownership.com for those two. I'll see you on the interwebs. And, Thanks, Joe. Uh, go on Instagram and check out his watch. <laughs> Jocko Willink, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you soon. Later. Later.